This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. So, the only thing left to say is, you win? Order now on the McDonald's app, and you can also get rewards points delivered too, so that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants, 18+, plus. rewards registration required. Points only on menu items. Delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Welcome to the Chelsea Fancast, fueled by Guinness, powered by Celery, the show that is as susceptible to rumour and excitement as much as everybody else is. Uh, now, if the prospect of football returning behind closed doors with piped at- in atmosphere isn't enough to whet the appetite, then it looks like Chelsea have made a big statement with the purported marquee signing of Timo Werner. Uh, panic panic not. Uh, when the football comes back with piped atmosphere, just close your eyes and imagine you're at Anfield. And talking of Liverpool, at least the rumour of Werner signing for Chelsea and not the Scousers is royally pissing them off. Uh, no doubt all will be revealed in due course, but if Timo has hitched himself to the Chelsea mast, then it really is a statement of intent that both Chelsea and Roman are very much back. About Timo, one could say. There you go. And uh, tonight's uh, show is entitled, like it absolutely has to be really, No Timo Like the Present, Chelsea Fancast number 508, and uh, Jonathan is is shaking his head in absolute bewilderment at the the, the punning genius that is Stamford Chidge, aren't you, Jonathan? Entirely why I'm shaking my yeah, head. Exactly. Absolutely great. I'm not shaking my head at all due to the fact that that at least we could have given this another week before discussing Werner. At least let's see whether it's true. I'm not shaking my head for that at all. I'm shaking my head because of the the wonderful pun you've come up with, Chidge. No Indeed. Timo like the present. Indeed. I love it. Indeed. I love it. I thought you might. I, I was going. There was another one uh, which I was going to do, which I've I've saved for the running order. Which is Timo or not Timo? That is the question. Oh, you know, on I mean, fire on fire. It's it, so, on yeah. so much fire. This you're smouldering. There's smoke. In, in, in Timo, in Timos like these, we learn to love again. Oh, you know, I mean, it's endless, isn't it? <laughs> That's absolutely tickled you, hasn't it? Oh dear. Anyway, lovely to see you as ever in your and replete in your beautiful purple and yellow Superman T-shirt. For those of you, bizarro. It's yeah, a bizarro. T-shirt. For those of you watching in black and white, uh, it is a purple and yellow Superman T-shirt. Looks good, J.K. As do you. Um, now, um, I, I can't see him because I think Mark's basically decided that 
his bandwidth is better without the video because we had a bit of a fun and games the other week when I did the my special with him, which probably will be coming out this Friday actually. But uh, what an absolute delight! We've we've held him back in reserve for this one. He's been so fantastic. Uh, regaling us with tales of Chelsea's seasons in the 1970s, but he he actually asked me specifically if he could do this season of all seasons. So we've got him back. I mean, frankly, Mark's so good, we would have got him back anyway, because it's a delight having him on the show. Mark, brilliant to have you back on, mate. Uh, brilliant to be here, Chidge. Uh, and I've got a, a jam T-shirt on, for those of you who, who can't, can't actually see me. Yeah, Welcome to Masochist Corner tonight, the 78-79 season in all its glory. Lovely, <laughs> lovely. Now, would you... Uh, you could say anything, Mark. You could say you were wearing, uh, you know, a three-piece suit, tuxedo. We don't yeah, know. We, we don't know, do we? We just no, don't we know. We don't know, no. But oh. I, I thought I'd wear the Jan T-shirt tonight because before we came online, Chidge and I were talking about all the great music that came out during the course of the 78-79 season. And one of my favourite albums of all time was All Mod Cons. There you go. In that season. You could say, Mark, jam today and not tomorrow. You're full of puns tonight, I am. Um, I remember going to see them at the Marquee. Uh, Jonathan and uh, Mark, as you you know, you've been plugging your t-shirts. Can you what, what can you see my t-shirt? Uh, theatre of, of cruelty. Theatre of hate. That's right. Not theatre of cruelty. No, theatre of hate. Oh, great read. band, great band of the it's same Brandon. kind of vintage. Kirk Brandon, Chelsea fan, as we all know, and has become quite a mate of mine, bless his heart. Um, anyway, on with the show, which tonight uh, we will be discussing, much to Jonathan's chagrin, the rumour of Timo Werner signing for Chelsea. Uh, and after all, I mean, it would be rude not to, wouldn't it? I mean, that's my, my theory for tonight. But there we go. Um, we will be asking these questions. How good is he? Where would he play? And what would it mean for Chelsea's squad? And probably a few more as well. Uh, we might also get into a bit of the the actual football is coming back. We now have the dates of the games and everything, and also the Champions League are organ, you know, thinking of organising some mad mini-tournament in Lisbon. So if we get time, we'll talk about that too. In parts two and three, the meat uh, in the veg, uh, in between the veg, you know, or the bread, if you like, probably a better analogy, uh, we are continuing our 50 Years of Chelsea series, and we'll be looking back this season, uh, the 1978-79 season. Uh, Chelsea start their Division 1 campaign, but everything soon unravels in spite of the return of Peter Osgood and the strange appointment of Danny Blanchflower to replace Ken Shellato even. I've hopefully got that right. Jonathan will tell me if I haven't. Um, yes. Good, thank you. Uh, now, in part four, as ever, of course, we wrap up with your emails. We've got a few in this week. They're all crackers, as always. Um, and, of course, don't forget, you can listen to the show live every Monday at 7 p.m., 7 o'clock of the evening, by going to Mixler, which is mixlr.com forward slash Chelsea-Fancast. And, of course, you can join in the chat and post on the live chat page, which so many of you do. We've got a whole, blimey, it's, it's rocking People know football's back, JK. We've doubled our audience in the last week. Either that or it's the fact that we've signed Timo Werner or not. So there you go. Uh, brilliant stuff. I'll, I'll name check a few of you if I can actually read them. I can't, I've got the wrong glasses on. But Yanisav Blue, uh, Drink Vodka, i.e. Freddy, uh, Planet Earth is Blue, uh, Sussex Blue, Dragon Three Leg, JC or J Clash, Rob Coombe, Andy the Hutch, I saw Alan May School, usual suspects. Lovely to see you all as ever. Hopefully we will manage to converse with you uh, along the way. Uh, and of course, you know, don't forget our Twitter uh, Twitter thing is at, uh, at Chelsea Fancast, as, our, as is our Instagram account. Uh, and Facebook, of course, is Chelsea Fancast. So there you go. Uh, now, after this short interlude, we will be talking football. <laughs>
So, 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 Timo Werner to be Timo or not Timo? That is the question. Um, I mean, I'm going to let you blow blow hard or blow forth, Jonathan, first. Get it off your chest and then we'll get into the nuts and bolts of it. How about that? Oh, Chidge, you're very lovely. Thank you. Can I just make a noise? Do whatever you like. <laughs> so you're really excited about the fact we're signing this uh, young German, possibly. I mean, it, it makes sense if this release clause is supposed to be 65 or 60, whatever. 53 million. Or 53, whatever it's changed to. It was 65. Perhaps that was euros. It make before the 15th. It makes sense. Um, uh, however, and it, uh, the very fact that supposedly uh, the other the other ridiculous fake news, if this is fake news, that went with it was that Roman had bought Edvard Munch's The Scream, which I thought was rather amusing. Where does he play? Indeed, everybody was saying, "What position is he going to play?" And does he does he do does he shoot does he shoot many screamers? Indeed, very clever, very clever. I'm on fire tonight. I thought it was more more the fact that he spent most of the time with with uh, with near misses because he had that effect that that look of going oh with his hands up to his face. Good, um, good. But uh, thank you very much. But um, uh, then that was somebody then wrote that you know this is fake and um, the the German guy um, the manager of Leipzig said. Actually, Chelsea haven't had any contact with us, so I don't know what you're talking about. He would say that, though, wouldn't he? Well, indeed. As always, they say that. I was about to say they would. But having said that, uh, occasionally they say that, and that's the truth. And also there's this rumour that Liverpool can't buy him because they don't have any money, which I don't understand. And the other one was um, they. Uh, the only reason that this has come up is because he wants to go to Liverpool and he's trying to get more money. So therefore, they're showing a fake interest in Chelsea. But at the same time, um, uh, I just despair of the way that we've all jumped onto a bandwagon when once again, there is no um, him with the shirt or no uh, remote signing or anything. And uh, as in at Christmas, when everybody embraced Giroud leaving to, to go to into Milan, where even a picture of six people at an airport, one of whom in the background had shades and was pointed out as being Giroud in Milan today, just turned out to be uh, a picture of six blokes in an airport and Giroud was never going, um, uh, makes me just be a little bit suspicious that we've all... We're all going to make dicks of us. Well, mate, I tell you what, look, you know, you know me. I mean, I, I I don't go bulls out like you do on Twitter, and I love you for that. But I've always, you know, added the qualification on any potential signing, signings that until I see them put a Chelsea shirt on, you know, don't count your chickens until they've hatched. But uh, I think, you know, whilst, yes, there's many a slip between cup and lip and all of that, um, I think the fact that, that so many of the re- you know reputable journalists have uh, piled in on this tells me that there's an element of truth to it. And the reason for that, you, you know how this works as well as I do. You know, they do have fairly good sources. They're not always just agent rumours. You know, they, they do talk to the club. You know, people like Matt Law, I mean, one could say disingenuously he's an unofficial mouthpiece at the club. So that tells me something is, is happening. Now, look, you know, I write for one of these places but you know they're all like i agree 
they're all sitting there telling stories of this, stories of that, stories of the other. And the reality is, if it all goes tits up, they don't care. It just gives them another story to write. So, you know, The Athletic, Football London, yeah, The Sun, The Mirror, you know what. They're going to be going for it and telling us how many goals he's going to score next season and, and the colour of his... Well, you I mean, know. Indeed, all these articles about Chilwell, which is... A, I mean, Chilwell... Right. No, 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 no the, 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 I, thing, sli- slightly different. I mean, I'm just let's just keep to Werner for a sec. You know, they don't care whether it ends up being right or wrong because it'll just give them something else to write about. But I think if you, you can pick the bones out of that, as intelligent football supporters can, and I would say that, you know... On a, on, a, on, on a score of like 1 to 10, this is probably about a 7 in terms of it's probably going to happen, I think. But do you think it's because it's making financial sense because of this release clause that I haven't heard anybody make an official pronouncement about the release yeah, well, clause? Well, Leipzig... And Lampard uh, was interviewed yesterday, didn't even mention it at all. Yeah, but Leipzig, if you, I read an article today which was, you know, you know, the headline of it was saying it's all negative and it's not going to happen. And then if you read what... I don't remember the guy's name, but he's the managing director of Leipzig. You know, even he admitted that there is a release. He didn't say what it was, but he admitted that there's a release clause and therefore the ball is in Werner's court. If Chelsea offer that money that triggers the release clause, the the chances are he's going to go unless something nefarious is going on, which is what you alluded to. But do you think also with the, with the uh, as we've talked about, the economic situation at the moment, that, that to pay his release clause when nearly every release clause will probably be reduced over the next year. Well, there's a chance of that, isn't there? Yeah. Is this, would Chelsea do that? Would, would they, if they wanted, I suppose, knowing also, we don't even know when the season will start, if it will, you know, uh, if there happens to be a resurgence well, of the, of the virus, is are Chelsea likely to make that decision to play, pay somebody 200,000 a week? Well, let's let, let's get into this. I want, I want to bring Mark in because uh, you know, Sorry, I don't, Mark. Yeah, I don't, no, no, because you and I could go off on this, and we just have. But I mean, you know, it's a good question that that J.K. raises, uh, Mark. But I, I actually think, uh, and I and I think I actually wrote about this a little while ago, and I, I mean, it was before we really knew where Roman stood, and of course, we never really know where Roman stands. But because we didn't spend anything for two seasons effectively and because we've raked in all that money for Morata and Hazard and everything else even if we like a lot of clubs might be in the shit because of the the pandemic and its economic effects I think we're in a good position it sounds to me Mark like Chelsea if if this is all true if this does pan out and happen I think have played a blinder here because they're getting ahead of the curve because I suspect a lot of clubs won't be able to spend a lot of money because of what's happened Would, would you agree with that analysis? I think it would, but I'd also sort of you know, agree with Jonathan as well because you know what I said a couple of weeks ago. You know, when does football reset itself? And we don't seem to reset itself if we're paying fifty million for a player and two hundred k wages. So for me, this sounds like this deal was done long before COVID happened. Uh, and you read that Peter Check was over there, Lampard was over there. So I just wonder whether they had the conversation with Leipzig four, five, six months ago. And the deal that's now coming out was one done some time ago. Because you know, give this six months, will we have football clubs paying this sort of money? I don't. Absolutely. I don't think we will. Okay. Absolutely. Saying that, you know, you know all the you know, communication about. I mean, he seems like a good player. I'd have to say I'm not the greatest expert on German football. I might occasionally watch it on a Saturday morning. The first time I heard the name, sort of like Team Werner, I thought it was the. 
the guy from Animal House. So clearly, you know, <laughs> if any journalists have got this wrong, they'll be on double secret probation yeah. if they get it wrong. But I would, I would rather wait until the deal is done. You know, Chelsea do their transfer deals in private. They don't do them in the media, except in the, there are very good sources out there. Yeah, you know, if the guy is coming, I'd rather see him, you know, at Stamford Bridge with a Chelsea shirt on. Then I know it's actually happening because. We, we'll talk about it tonight. You know, we'll talk about Johan Cruyff tonight. We'll talk about other players where, in the past, you know, Chelsea are supposedly buying a player, and at the last minute, you know, someone else buys him, or it just doesn't happen for one reason or another. They fail a medical, for example. You know, let's get the deal over the line. Let's see it happens. Other at the moment, it is still pure speculation. Twitter reeled everybody in in the last week. You know, and then you saw thousands of people retweeting it. Yeah. You know. I'm, I'm with Jonathan. You know, let's wait and see till the guy gets here. No, no, I, I, absolutely. And I, 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 you know, that's always been my qualification, Mark, because we've been around the block a long time and we know how these things can uh, go the way of the pair. I mean, that having been said, um, he is, I think, a decent player. He's one of the most highly rated strikers in in Europe at the moment, and uh, he's got pace. Uh, he can finish. He's got physical strength and power. So I think he'd be very suited to the Premier League. Good age at 24. So, you know, he's developed, but he's still got potential. If You, you know, if Hazard was younger when we got him, wasn't he? Uh, he scored 25 goals in 30 games this season, eight assists. He's had scored three hat-tricks. Uh, and uh, he's got 11 goals, two assists in 29 games for Germany. So he's got a decent strike rate and then some. Uh, interestingly, he can play centre-forward, where he scored 21 goals this season, left-wing, where he scored three goals, and second striker, where he scored one goal. I've heard criticisms uh, of him being a bit of a flat-track bully, and I think a lot of this... I mean, remember the, the Bundesliga is a bit, a bit, you know... There's about three or four good teams and the rest are crap. But he scored against Wolfsburg, he scored against uh, Dortmund twice... And he scored a hat-trick against Munch and Gladbach. So he scored against teams in and around the top five, which is where they I think they're third at the moment, uh, Leipzig. Hasn't scored against Bayern. So, you know, Jonathan, if we do get him, I think he could be a cracking player for us. But the trouble is, why have they therefore got Giroud for another year? Uh, Back what up. Ha- what happens to Batshuayi? Off. And what happens to Tammy? Competition. And... The other thing is, I think, you know, Werner can play either as the lone striker or in a two or in the hole or even wide if he has to. So, you know, I think it's a good thing for Tammy to have competition. I mean, I know, interestingly enough, he hasn't signed his contract yet, but uh, I think he needs a bit of competition. And Giroud, you know, Giroud getting another year is great for him. And, uh, you know, he's good backup to have. Batshuayi, love him as we do, is not good enough. Is not good enough. He hasn't ever been good enough. No. He's a he, he's he's very good at scoring on the six yard box, but uh, when the ball any, hits him in the right place, yeah, any yeah. anywhere else on the pitch, it's it's uh, it's. I mind you, scored a wonderful goal, didn't he? What was that goal he scored? Was that in the um, from about forty yards out? What was that one he scored? God, was that against Valencia or Ajax or something? Yeah, it was. It was yeah, it was yeah. something bizarre. But because um, I was just saying, oh God, he's so dreadful. Get him off! And then, oh. Um, and everybody went, ah, Jonathan, ah, your knowledge of football, ah. And I said, no, most of the time he's dreadful. Um, but, uh, yeah, I just, uh, I'd be intrigued to see if this, if he fit. I know they've been after a striker, I know. Um, uh, and the, the the dilemma I've got similarly with this is, is we this this has actually unearthed a whole series of, of, of other of, of re-rumoured rumours, uh, like the Chilwell rumour for left-back, but they've now 
and, and this Teles um, won't go away. And now this, this new bloke appeared called Talia Falco, who apparently um, we're interested in. But then the, uh, the most interesting was Kakir from Trebanspur appeared yesterday on a feed. And uh, we were about to buy him, according to some unnamed bloke from an unnamed... Uh, well, you see, um, I ignore all of those. Well, I, I, what I get I get disturbed about is the 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 way the the fact that that this supposed um, Werner transfer has caused every other possible person to be bought because Chelsea apparently are back as if somehow sp- splashing money at people meant that suddenly we were a force again, as opposed to thinking actually Frank's working with the kids. We're not going to be buying six or seven players, but. The, uh, a positive thing that I've been reading, and I think even you mentioned this as well, Chidge, is originally the idea was to have two, two class players for each position. And the only time we actually, ma- well, the first time we managed to do that was when we um, dominated the Champions League. And that was Peter Kenyon's view, wasn't it? This is, we're going back. And Mourinho's. And Mourinho's view. And it was something that, that we 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 just took in our stride, but on reflection, it really was a fantastic thing to be doing. It's way to do it. It was the way to do it, absolutely. So if if the if this doesn't get in the way of the kids' development, because I'm still so pro this wonderful thing that Frank has been involved in, you know, it's like the whole left back discussion ignores the fact that we have this brilliant prospect in Matson, who is as quick as Andy Cole. And uh, and Ashley Cole, Ash, so Ashley Andy. I suddenly had this vision of a of a bloke scoring for Man United in my head. Yes, as as, as quick as Ashley Cole. And um, I've been watching old videos. You can tell. And um, uh, and and I thought this was going to be the next season is going to be his opportunity because he'll be eighteen plus. And uh, um, but if somebody comes in and prevents him from playing, I think that will be a denial of the youth system. At the same time. If it means there are two equal and he gets rid of Alonso and Emerson, which has always been on the cards, though, I've also read a statement from somewhere saying that he was still keen to keep those players. So all of this is very much up in the air for me in, in every way, because it, uh, because of the fact he's the players he's got, surely he's going to give them opportunities to play. Surely. It's a good question, JK. I mean, Mark, I mean, it's one of the things I've been thinking about. I mean, if, if we do get Werner, um, how how will that? affect the makeup for the squad i mean obviously we've talked about you know tammy it'll be competition for tammy i suspect Batshuayi might go i don't have a problem with that uh and uh you know Giroud, i think will be back up but i mean it kind of begs wider questions of you know what what i mean i read a hilarious um well i say hilarious i mean largely because we don't know do we but i think it was bit in the sun and the mirror and, and they listed 11 players who could be out on their way out all things being equal, Mark, and that would be Pedro, William, Zuma, Alonso, Barkley, Batshuayi, Jorginho, Kepa, Morata, Bakayoko, and Zapata. Um, that's eleven players, a whole team. I mean, you know, some of them, some of them have gone anyway, though, haven't they? Well, Morata, Bakayoko, and Zapata. I mean, frankly, I, I, I really, I really wouldn't have too much of a problem with that. I mean, every, you know, Pedro and Will. I did. I'm asking Mark this question. I'm sitting there answering it for him. But Mark, I mean, I, I, I wouldn't have a problem with Pedro. Well, Pedro and William have, have been great servants, and and you know their time, their time has probably gone. If you see what I mean, Batshuayi is not good enough. Uh, Alonso again. If you've got a better backup, 
uh, a, a better replacement, a younger replacement. Matson's not a bad idea. Uh, Jorginho, I I think he's a good player. I'd be sorry to see him go, actually. Kepper, question marks. Uh, Barkley, question marks. Zuma, I like, but, you know, is he good enough to be our main central defender? So you can, you can actually see the sense in that, and I think therein lies the answer that journalists have kind of, you know, added two and two and made five, but... <clears throat> what do you think about that and also um, Werner coming in and what what would happen to the squad therein? Uh, if I start with Werner, obviously what he will bring is he'll bring some versatility as well because not only can he play centre-forward, yeah, he can play as that second striker, he can play in the hole, he can play in left wing. So clearly from a squad cover point of view, because he can play in more than one position, if some of those players you've just listed, I didn't see that article, but I saw another article that said 10 players were going. Um, and there will be some in and outs. But if Pedro and William do go, I think we talked about it on the fan cast a few weeks ago. I think they both go with my best wishes. I think they've both been really good servants for the club. Will they necessarily both go? Don't know, not for sure. Will 11 players go? Certainly not. Um, I don't think we'll offload 11 players. In it's a lot, season. isn't it, in one go? It's, it's, far, it's far too many in one go. I think certain players will go. I think that is inevitability. I think, you know, you've got Zayat coming in. You've got assuming it happens, Werner coming in, and maybe one, two others, tops. I think also Lampard may promote probably two or three more from the youth team into the first-team squad. I still think he'll keep that youth resolution. So, you know, I think you'll have that continual mix of young players, that experience, you know, that you have with players like keeping Dave and others in the side. And then two or three marquee signings coming through. I think that's a balance for a good team, good squad going forward. And I think it's absolutely right. I think if we can get a situation where we've got cover for every single position, I think that's a, a good deal done. That's why I don't think you're going to have Emerson and Alonso going. Yeah. Unless you know, yeah, something's happening that we don't know about. You, I can't see us selling two left backs in, you know, in, in off-season. And I think Emerson has been trying to get out. Emerson has been trying to get away yeah. since before um, the January transfer window. That's what I, I heard. That uh, he didn't he didn't enjoy playing in England and wanted to go back to um, back to Italy. So I think I'd, he, I'd, I'd you know I'd keep Alonso quite happily. So and would he, I. Me yeah. too. Absolutely. I love him. I love him. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, even up up until we we finished, he, he scoring more goals. He's 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 devastating going forward. But it's it's his defence. I'd keep him just for his hair, mate. Uh, hey. I'd keep him for his good looks and his, his absolutely... You've got to have at least one player with great hair, you know, yeah. to carry on the Paolo Ferreira tradition. It's true, it's true. Absolutely right. But, I mean, the thing is, if, if you know, if if they get rid of... If Alonso goes, it will be because they buy in a, a, a quality left-back. Hey. And I think Matson becomes the backup. Um, I mean, if you if you let Jorginho go, it'll be a shame because I, I like him, actually. I've I've grown to like him having really not liked him under Sarri. But, you know, look at who we've got in the midfield. You know, Loftus-Cheek, uh, Billy Gilmore coming through. Uh, we've got Mount. We've got uh, Kovacic, Kante. I mean, you know, we're, we're... I mean, you know, we've got a lot of good players. I mean, like the if you talk about the, the width, we let Pedro and William go, Mark. You know, you've got Zayec, you've got Pulisic, you've got Hudson-Odoi. If you get Werner, you've got Werner who can play back up on the left wing. So I think I like that, you know, we don't know. I know that there's a lot of uh, conjecture here, but I, I get the feeling that at the moment the club are re- really on it in terms of where they want to go, both with bringing the talented youth through and then supplementing it with good quality players. And I have to say, Mark, 
that's something that we haven't seen for a while. It's been really all over the shop and a bit haphazard. And I think I, I like what I think is going on behind the scenes here. Would you, would you agree with that? I would agree. We seem to have our mojo back behind the scenes. Yeah, so yeah, There's we, a plan, isn't there? there, there seems like it. You know, you know, there certainly seems to be a plan. You know, um, Let's wait and see who else comes in. But I, I think, as you said earlier, we have money in the bank. What will pay remains to be seen. I still think paying that ridiculous amounts of money, 80 million for Chilwell, please give me a break. Oh, it's not going to happen. He's got a four-year contract, Mark. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Not going to happen. Um, that's, just, that's just absolutely that. That's such an old, ridiculous rumor. Well, this, this is this is this. Sorry, go on, Mark. Complete, complete madness. Yeah. Why would you spend eighty million pound on Chilwell? It's just it's not a non-starter for me. Yeah. Well, I, I think I think we've got a plan there that bodes well um, for the future. The club seem to know what they're doing. You know, so bring it on. I mean, I think there's, I mean, you know, a lot of the, the, the you know, people on Twitter, you know, who, who who try to play FIFA 20 with, with real life football, this is what they don't get. I mean, it's it'll be very interesting to see how it plays out. My suspicions are, I mean, look at Tottenham. I mean, Tottenham are in the shit financially. West Ham are in the shit financially. And that's even before you factor in the economic effects of the pandemic. No club will be unscathed through that. But... Even if Chelsea are better off than everybody else, it'll be because they haven't been able to spend money. So technically, they're sitting on a war chest. And secondly, if Roman's got reinvigorated to get really well into this, I have to be honest, I'm, I'm, I think he is, but I'm not convinced he's going to just be splashing the cash like he did before because his, 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 you know, his, his wish is for the club to be self-financing. And of course, you've got FFP. That still applies. So we're not going to go and spend you know half a billion on players are we even if even if we do have the advantage of being able to spend some money and the other thing of course is that we might be wandering around with a target on our back because we might be the only ones who can spend some money and therefore people will inflate the prices as they always do right yeah it, it could be you know if we are paying 50 million for werner and there's a couple of players we may get our deals done early and then sit sit back and see where the market goes yeah so they could they could have a plan as I said earlier, they could have had Werner on the radar for six months. The deal was long done before lockdown. There may other players that the deals were done long before lockdown. They don't suddenly start looking at players, you know, over a short term. They look at players over a long term period. So whoever we bring in over the next few weeks, few months, we'll have had our eyes on for quite some time. All right. Well, Can we I will. Just say, I, I yes. The person who will benefit from this in this situation, which I'm really hoping he will do, is Loftus Cheek who's had the opportunity to train even more and get more. Um, I know they haven't been, obviously he's been on his own training, but if he could be, if he's been given a plan by the club, which of course he will have done because he's a professional footballer, he may be fitter and stronger than at any other time since his injury before. We may discover him as, uh, uh, as somebody who, uh, is another opportunity, another option for us in this situation yeah. that we didn't have before. Like a new signing. Well, talking of that, just very quickly, let's have a quick chat about. We now know the dates uh, of the matches. Uh, we kick off uh, against Villa on uh, Sunday the twenty-first. Uh, then we've got City on the twenty-fifth, Leicester in the FA Cup on the twenty-eighth, and then West Ham on the first of July on the Wednesday. Watford the following Saturday, Palace the following Wednesday, Sheffield United the following Saturday, Norwich the following Wednesday, Liverpool the following Saturday, and then Wolves the final match of the Premier League season for us on Sunday the 26th of July. So we've basically got uh, two games a week for one, two, three, four, five weeks. 
I mean, you know, in a sense, that's that's about normal. But I, I can see many concerns about that the, the the stats coming out from germany about the number of injuries that players are picking up something like 220 percent above normal uh no wonder chelsea stamped their foot and got all the premier league clubs to agree to even more substitutes it's going to be really really intriguing but i gotta be honest jk i am looking forward to it, you know having been such a curmudgeon about all this I mean, you know, I like watching Chelsea play football. One of the great positives is we won't have to go back into the past and suffer terrible pain reliving past seasons. That we oh, but I like that. Do well, do you know, it's a, it's a, you ask a good question there because I was thinking this today. I was thinking, fuck, the football's back. Well, now what are we going to do? We're going to have to talk about the bloody football again. What do I do with the 50 years of Chelsea? We've still got another 40 years to go or 40 episodes to go. If if there's a a second wave of the pandemic, then we'll we'll be back in. We'll be but able to do it easily. I I'm of a mind to carry them on, actually, because they are we're getting so much love for them, and I'm really enjoying it. Be our program. Well, they are anyway. We do a special during the week on a Wednesday or something. We could do that. Yeah, 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 yeah. I could do that. Hour long special just discussing because it's um, about we spend about an hour fanning about with it, don't we? Yeah, and then uh, Mark could could, Mark could be on every every Wednesday. Well, then I can squad rotate a bit more. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the thing is, you see, you know that a lot of the younguns, you know, I say younguns, I'm talking to people like Dan, really. Uh, you know, and, and Dane, they all started coming in the 80s. So they're going to be chat- They're going to be thinking, well, we've had to like w- wait out on the true, 70s. It's, it's our it's turn true. soon. It's true. It's true. And then you you'll know. get into the 90s eventually, and then people will be all chipping. Alex and, Alex and, yeah. and Dean will be yeah. coming into their element. Yeah. I think maybe maybe you're right. You know, maybe we have to do a like a special, if I can. Yeah, I'm, I think maybe you're right, Jonathan, as you often are. There we go. Sorry, folks, a bit of a kind of production meeting in the middle of the show, <laughs> but, you know, why not? Um Okay, uh, Mark, what do you think about the, the, the schedule? I mean, the trouble is we, it, we're dealing with massive unknowns here, aren't we? We don't know what it's going to be like. We don't know what it's going to be like. It will be wall-to-wall football. That's one thing that we do know. But there's still that struggle I have. I know it's only 55 deaths today. Even still thinking about football as much as I miss it and all things that are going on. But I think it will come up behind me so fast that I'll probably be sucking in like everybody else and watching those games like everybody else. Um what I found interesting is, um, and it's whether it'll stay like this, or was that thing they used to say that you couldn't have games kicking off at three o'clock on a Saturday on live TV, which I never understood. Because actually, if you were wanting to watch your team, you'd be at the ground. So, you know, the only people be watching the games are people who didn't support that team. Yeah. Um, well, yeah but, the three but, o'clock kickoffs. There's quite a few of them because obviously there's no one in the ground. Well, yeah, but I, I think actually the reality of that, Mark, is the fact that the Premier League haven't discussed the, who gets the TV, you know, which one's going to be on TV or not. That's why they're all three o'clock from the uh, Watford match. In other words, they only ever do it by about six weeks, if you if you remember, or they do it like a month or two. Uh, I'm amazed that they couldn't have worked all of this out in one go. It just shows how stupid they are. But I think that is the reason. But the point I was going to make is, obviously, I haven't seen all the way down who's got what. But like Amazon Prime, I've only got a small number of games. Um, I'm not. I'm saying it just because I've got Amazon Prime. But I have to say, Amazon's Prime coverage that period before brilliant was excellent. You could actually. You know, have 10 games and you choose the game you want to watch so you'll watch the game and you could turn off the commentary and you could turn off the commentary as well it's <laughs> so a great advantage 10 games at three o'clock on a saturday you know and amazon prime is showing them i i, I think it's gonna be fantastic yeah yeah, yeah. yeah so i'd look forward to that part of it 
am I a fan of Sky? No, I'm not. So, you know, whether I bother to get Sky for this, I'll have to think on that. You can't go out to the pub. You can't go to your mate's house unless you sit in the garden and have a barbecue and watch it. So, yeah. Ask yeah, me again well, in a couple of weeks' time. I've got, I've got it all, mate. You see, this, this is the beauty of having. Ver- this is the beauty of. Sorry, Jonathan. This is the beauty of having. Uh, uh, not, not. I almost said the beauty. This is the beauty of having Jonathan. I meant the beauty of having Virgin. <laughs> <laughs> Cannot be confused in I any way. Virgin, you're right. In any way, shape, or form. But if you've got Virgin, you get BT Sports, Sky, and Amazon Prime. So I'm, I'm sitting here. King of the King of the Hill, mate. But no, sorry, Jonathan, I didn't mean no, to talk will, over you. Will you both be watching all of the games? No, just, just the Chelsea the, ones. Just the Chelsea ones, because yeah. I might wander in and and watch. Uh, um, wander in. I'm just talking about Jonathan. Jonathan, I love Chelsea and I hate football. Yeah, yeah that's it. You know, why would I waste my time on the other games? I might find myself tempted just to lift because, like, some of them, I'm, I can just get. I can only get BT Sport on my iPad. I don't know why that is. And uh, and Amazon, I've got Amazon Prime, so I suppose I get it. But that's just for because I shop so much on Amazon. So um, it's good I'm, on Amazon. I'm locked down. I'm locked down. No, it's good so, on Amazon. I, mean, I watched it. I watched it before. I really enjoyed it. Yeah. Um, they they can't do it this time because the games aren't all on at the same time. So they they can't do that, can they? Yeah. Well, I think as I said, I think the the games in July will be announced shortly. Knowing the TV people, I mean, the only other thing, just a very quick chat, because I mean, it's 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 ruminatory at the moment. But they're talking about. Um, having the uh champions league played as like a mini kind of tournament uh based everybody based in lisbon um which you know if they got a, I don't know, they'll do it kind of mid-august uh and, and and then they'll wrap it up by i think end of august but um i mean it's curious isn't it because we're still technically in it although we're three nil behind the eight ball i mean it would just be hilarious wild fantasy by me but it would be hilarious that given uh, everything that's going on is that we managed to beat Bayern Munich four 0 I mean, I don't see it happening. But plus the fact, of course, the German sides would have would be a month more match fit. So I suspect we'll be on the end of a bit of a shellacking. But uh, so we might be there for a day or two, Mark. I don't know. What do you think? Well, we'll be talking about Bolton Wanderers in nineteen seventy. Well, that yes, not too distant future. So I don't think it will happen. And you're right. You know, they they've got a month's head start, but. Stranger things are happening in football. That's the, that's the beauty about football. The thing I wanted to mention was more. Yeah, obviously we've got Leicester in the FA Cup. Yeah. Yeah. If we progress through the FA Cup, because I still think yeah we had a great chance of winning the FA Cup before lockdown. I still would really struggle with the FA Cup being held at Wembley with nobody there. Yeah. I know yeah. they talked about maybe a twenty percent, but even twenty percent Wembley, it'd be a bit like some of those Tottenham games they had when they they were playing sort of like. Arsene games when they couldn't get through in Europe and there was no one there. And I think it was, you know, absolutely abysmal atmosphere. So that's the one I'd be really struggling with an FA Cup final in an empty Wembley. Yes, yeah, nobody or everybody in my in my book. Um, it's point, yeah, I, I really do think that. Hey ho. Um, right, we're going to go to a break in a sec. But before we do, uh, our usual plug for the wonderful CFC UK, which both Mark and I write for. Mark, of course, is a. Is a uh, an absolute legend of the Chelsea fanzine scene, um, you know, with his work on the Chelsea Independent beforehand. Anyway, um, as you know, without football being played at Stamford Bridge or us being there, more to the point, you can't actually get the CFC UK on a match day, but you can still get it digitally by subscribing online at cfcuk.net. Or, of course, you can... In uh, Currently, you can actually get it delivered to you. So you basically, it's £2, including first... 
class post uh, and to order it uh, you send your address via email uh, and pay using paypal to cfcuk at gate17.co.uk now uh, with your help hopefully cfc excuse me cfc my, my spaghetti bolognese is repeating on me apologies everybody cfc uk is aiming to raise money for four charities help for heroes leukemia uk help them help us and stole which is the veterans charity next door to the ground as you all know uh now uh they're going to be doing that through the production and sale of a very special photo only edition of the fanzine which will feature photographs from the past decade. Uh, now, the target is to raise 500 quid for, uh, per charity, so two grand in all. Uh, and that and that's why the cost per copy is six quid, inclusive of postage within the UK. Um, but uh, the project will only go ahead if the target that we're wanting to raise is reached. Uh, and if we don't reach it, then uh, the, the payments will be refunded. But you need to send your payment and your full ad- address details, as I said a minute ago, via PayPal to cfcuk at gate17.co.uk. Uh, it's a great idea, Mark, isn't it? I've got a question for you, actually. C- can I send more photos in rather than just the ugly one of me holding up a fanzine? Because I've seen other people have. I, I still still think you can. I, I, I messaged DJ the other day and sort of said, do you still need more photos? You know, so... I would just send them on to him. Uh, he hasn't said no. I think it's a brilliant idea. You know, really good idea. You know, and it's probably quite timely as well. Um, everyone who chose to have refunds from the club last week would have got them. Um, obviously, the club also suggested some charities if fans wanted to leave the money with them. But if people want to make their own personal choice um, about perhaps using some of their season ticket money, there's four really good charities in there. Um, obviously, people know... Um, Oswald Stoll Foundation, as Chid just said, is next to Stamford Bridge. But there are other really good charities there as well. Yeah, it's a minimum amount. If they can raise that, the more books it sells, the more monies can go to those four charities. So, again, if you're listening in, um, really good cause, well worth supporting. Absolutely right. Now, uh, after this very short break, uh, we are coming back to talk about the 1978-79 season. Uh, a season which will live long in ignominy if you're a Chelsea supporter. But if you were around at that time, a very special year or two. Mark and I were talking before we went on air about the great music around at the time. Uh, but not le- not least the music, but also the haircuts. More of that after this break. Real fans, real opinions. I'm Jason Cundy, and you're listening to the Chelsea Football Fancast. Proper Chelsea. Footballfancast.com. Welcome back. This is the Chelsea Fancast. I, of course, am Stamford Chidge. And uh, in the blue corner, I have wearing his purple Superman t shirt, Mr. Jonathan Kidd. Up, up, up and away! Indeed, indeed. And in the other blue corner, an absolute wonderful, wonderful gentleman, Mr Mark Meehan. Good evening, everybody. There you go. Uh, now, uh, I'm, I, as you know, and I mean, I am genuinely mean this, a lot of people, uh, you know, are, are showing a lot of love for the, uh, the, the 50 years of Chelsea that we've been doing. I know we enjoy it, which is really what it's all about, and that's why we do it. But... Uh, 
in a perverse sort of way, Mark, I've been I've been looking forward to doing this season, um, largely because I was getting a bit older. I was kind of 13, 14. So whilst I wasn't going to Stamford Bridge, that was a bit of an alien concept to me at the time. Uh, I, I This is the season I remember watching on the big match, perhaps more than any other. And this was borne out by the uh, the amount of matches I managed to see uh, this afternoon for enough preparing for this. But uh, in a sense... The, the, I said all change, but in a way there wasn't any. But the thing that, that 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 kind of struck me about this was the number of new recruits that seemed to find their way into the team this season, um, such as Gary Chivers and Mick Fillory signed professional forms. Johnny B gets a few games. Mickey Nutton, John Sitton end up playing at the end of the season. David Stride, I think, makes a great impact. But uh, lo and behold, uh, we make our first signing uh, for four years I think when we get Duncan McKenzie from Everton for 165,000 quid in uh, early September um now I wasn't really around and going much at all if well I wasn't going at all in those days so this would have been this would have kind of passed me by I mean I knew Duncan McKenzie from his time at Leeds more than anything but um you know going into this season Mark I know it was a bit disappointing last season but going into this season what you know were you excited what were your hopes and expectations and did you feel quite happy that Duncan McKenzie had arrived? Excited, yes. Uh, um, I'm an optimist by nature, so despite what happened the previous season, you know, we still managed to stay in the first division. Um, so looking forward to the next one. And the other thing that's really sort of was exciting for me, I had my first ever season ticket at Chelsea. So I got a £25 or terror season ticket that season for the first time. Um, so I'd already committed before the ball had even been kicked. I was going to every game that season. So really looking forward to it. Uh, high hopes for the season. Disappointment. Um, we talked about him in the last few weeks. We'd lost Jock Finiston. Uh, Ken Shellato decided to sell him to Sheffield United. Which I think Why? Why did they do that? Terrible, terrible decision. And Jock never wanted to leave Chelsea. Uh, but clearly he had a choice of going to two clubs. One was Luton Town and one was Sheffield United. So he went north to Sheffield. Um but we actually did bring in a player before Duncan um, McKenzie came in. We bought a new goalkeeper. We brought in Bob Isles during the, the summer. From Weymouth. From Weymouth. And he makes <laughs> debut during the course of the season. And he plays, which we will talk about, that infamous Bolton game. Yeah. That was his home debut. But in terms of Duncan McKenzie... He had a good McKenzie, haircut, didn't he, Isles? I remember. Yeah, yeah. Really excited when Duncan McKenzie joined us. Um, me too, me too. Really, a really talented player. And in that short period of time he was with us, I think he only played 15 games. I think how I'd best describe Duncan, right player for Chelsea, wrong time. Yeah, you know, mm. Just came at the, the wrong time. Uh, he was doing flicks and tricks. And I think I think when you're talking the other week about Rude Hullet, um, some, no, I'm not saying that Duncan McKenzie's on the same level as Rude Hullet, but there are times when he was doing things where he was on a different wavelength to some of his teammates. Um, so... It was he, was a, he was a mercurial player, wasn't he, Duncan he, McKenzie? He was, he, was, he was a maverick. It was short-lived. Uh, also, you won't want him being a babysitter either because when he was here, he was best friends with Kenny Swain. So one night, um, Kenny Swain and his wife Lillian went out and Duncan um, offered to babysit for them. And Duncan's idea of babysitting was, I think it must have been around November time, was let off a load of fireworks in Kenny Swain's flat. So the kids loved it, but I don't think Kenny Swain was best pleased with his, his, his teammates <laughs> or setting fireworks off in his flat. Um, the other thing about Duncan, um, I know we were watching the games. The other thing I found on YouTube, um, and 
from April, remember the 1970s, remember Superstars. Yes. So Duncan appeared that season in Superstars, and he was really unfortunate. I, I watched it over the weekend. He was really unfortunate. He appeared in the same episode, and older people remember this, Brian Jacks. Yes. So Judo they bloke. Do the gym test, and Duncan goes first, and they do the dips. You know, older people remember what the dips were. And Duncan does 17 dips in one minute. And then the next person that follows him was Brian Jacks, and he does 64 dips. And over the course of that episode, uh, Duncan finishes sort of second from bottom, which is probably a foretaste of what his football season was going to be like the remaining part of the season. I think in honor in honor of that, Mark, we have to do a rendition of the superb superstars theme music. Jonathan, remember it? Was it a bit like? um... Why that never got translated to a cherished chant, I'll never know. Um, um, didn't what didn't Mackenzie uh, um, was able wasn't he able to vault over a mini from a standing start? Yes, that's probably why he got on superstars. Yeah, but it's true, isn't it, Mark? I mean, he could he could leap over a, a mini. He, he he never did it at Chelsea, but he did it at Leeds, Leeds United, and he also could throw a golf ball from one end of the pitch to the other. Um, but I think it was um. I think what, it was a testimonial game at least when he jumped over me. Like, I've got Duncan's book, so I was reading it. And it's on the, if I had the camera up, you could see it. There's a big photo of him on the back page of his book, jump, jumping over, over the mini. But he was, he was a talent. It was short-lived. Um, he never actually scored a goal at Stamford Bridge in a league game, although no. he did score for us uh, in a, I think it was Charlie Cook's testimonial. So all the goals he got uh, were away from home. Yeah. Yeah. So, and he actually scored on his debut away to Coventry City. Yeah, well, he, he played for Forest, didn't he? Before that, he played for Forest because I remember seeing him playing um, uh, against Fulham, Fulham at Forest, and he was absolutely excellent. And that, I, that consequently, I was so excited with the prospect of him coming because I thought, well, all right, Finiston's gone. I, uh, Finiston going was uh, what was going on in the boardroom? What was going on? How how? How did that work? One despairs. I remember this emotion I'm feeling now was exactly what I felt then. Ah, I just constantly going, oh, why have they done this? And um, but by Mackenzie, I went, okay, I get it. If you bought a player like that, but as you say, um, uh, completely surrounded by journeymen in comparison, Uh, a, a real, real talent, Mackenzie. And was wasn't given a chance to uh, to show how brilliant he could be. Well, but you know, sorry, go on, mate. No, no, no. I'm, I'm going to say. Well, I'm, but before before we before we get into to how the season uh, pans out, because a lot of games was to look over tonight, uh, and all sorts of other stuff. I mean, the, I mean, it might have been a, a really pants season, but there's so much to talk about. The first of which isn't even in the official, uh, obviously the official games that we played, but in September on the 26th of September, 1978. Chelsea played the New York Cosmos with a certain Johan Cruyff um, amongst them right now. I, I have to nail my colours to the mast here, but Johan Cruyff was one of the fundamental reasons why I love football. Uh, watching him play in the 74 uh, World Cup as a kind of an eight, eight-year-old, I just fell in love with this guy and football and thought, my God, you know, one of my favourite players of all time. 
And of course, the New York Cosmos were huge. I mean, that's that's like the height of the the National Soccer League then, or you know, North American Soccer League as we should call it. And and they come over to Chelsea. Now, I'm pretty sure you were there, J.K., weren't you? I was. And I think Mark was probably there, weren't you, Mark? I was indeed, along with 39,659 people. But again, as we've said before in the fan cast, there was a lot more than 39,000 people well, in, that a, night. A bit like the Moscow <laughs> Dynamo game, kind of. So, Jonathan, tell me about this game. Because, I mean, you could, there is footage of it, by the way, because I think Wilkins scored for us, didn't he? Tell me about that game. You know, how, what, what was it about? Why were we playing the New York Cosmos in September, in the, in the season, effectively? I think they'll have to ask Mark. Okay. Well, I'll tell you what. I'll talk to Mark, and then we'll get your, your reflections of it. Yeah. Would that be more but, sensible? Okay. The Cosmos Chids were doing a European tour. Yeah. Right. So they, they, they were, there was, I think, half a dozen games um, on that tour, um, and we were the only side they played in the UK. Uh, they played Bayern Munich, they played Stuttgart, they played AC Milan, uh, they played Atletico Madrid, and they played Freiburger, which sounds like a beer in Germany. <laughs> so there were the five games, and they, they decided to come come to Stamford Bridge. And clearly, because they had, you know, not just Cruyff, they had in that side, um, they had Carlos Alberto was playing for them, they had Franz Beckenbauer, they had Giorgio, yeah, Italian people. Chineglia. Chineglia. Uh, and obviously, for Watford fans who might be listening, they had Terry Garber in the side. <laughs> and I think on the night, Dennis Stewart was up front for them. Dennis Stewart. That's scored. right. But it he really did, caught he? the imagination that you know, people just went there just to see Cruyff. And um, if you remember your big match, the following season, or the same season, the opening inch of the big match, during the game, Cruyff does the, his Cruyff turn and he sort of does that whole turn and beats Ray Lewington. And they show that in the big match, I think, for at least a season afterwards. Yeah, I mean, it's bizarre how that came about. Why on earth were they playing Chelsea, Mark, without disparaging us too much? No, I, well, I, I don't know why they actually cho- chose us, but I said it, they, they were on tour. Uh, and whether or not we had some kind of connections with you know, the American Soccer League back then, but... I, I thought that Weird. was that was that was Mears just being clever. That's what I heard. Good marketing. Yeah. I thought that, that that Mears was just on the case in this instance, despite being so dreadful in so many other areas. What, what do you remember about the match, J.K.? Uh, nothing. Nothing. Seriously. Seriously, nothing. That's yeah. really sad because this know, that's like I, huge. I told you this is my mind. This is what my brain. If Mark says something, I'll go. Oh yeah, of course that happened. Well, I mean, the thing is, I mean, if you I think you know. think about the context of this, because I know it's really odd, but Johan Cruyff. Uh, pretty much single-handedly dragged um, um, Holland to the World Cup final in 1974, where they should have beaten West Germany. Uh, he still, I mean, he, he he should have gone to the 78 World Cup, and this is going to feature in this this episode, I think. We just had this amazing World Cup in Argentina in 78. Um, he should have gone to that. Holland gets to the final again, loses to Argentina, as we know. But he didn't go because there were, I think there were death threats against him. So he refused to go. So he's kind of, you know, it's it's not like he's kind of three or four years retired from decent football and just gone over to America to earn a decent crust. He's still a very, very, very good footballer. And he's playing at Stamford Bridge. I mean, you yeah, know, it's huge. I've watching Beckenbauer, actually, I have to tell you. Was he playing as well? Yeah, yeah. Beckenbauer played, Fuck. yeah. Yeah. Wow, yeah. De Kaiser. De Kaiser, indeed, indeed. But um, wow. he was very imperious, and also I was fascinated by the whole process of uh, of uh, um, uh, a sweeper 
because he, he he was the original sweeper and i just like the fact that he could he just see he just tidied everything up all the time because he was still playing in that role because it was a role that wasn't played very often in um in english football no were there were there rumors that chelsea were gonna sign Cruyff, mark at there that was. time yeah there were rumors um and that would have been an incredible signing and on two occasions, shortly after that game, but then a couple of years later, I think when Jeff Hurst was manager, there was rumours again that we were looking to actually buy him. And I think in the end, um, I think he joined Levante in Spanish football, if I remember right. Um, and I think as part of his deal with Levante, um, he got half the gate money of every game. So that clearly was probably the deal he put on Brian Mears, and Brian Mears probably said, "No way, Jose." Yeah. Did did he not go back to Feyenoord at the end of his career and and do great things with them as well? I seem to remember. I, I think he may have been at Feyenoord. He certainly did yeah. play for Feyenoord at one point in his career. Definitely. Yeah. Indeed. All right. Uh, let's get into the meat and potatoes. Uh, we open the season uh, at home to Everton, uh, and we lose one nil. Um, I think the first thing that that, that strikes me when I watched this back today, uh, was not just that we were rather poor. It's the amount of players that had perms and tashes, JK. Well, Bob Latchford, he, he had his hair permed especially for the start. He did. Motti Motti actually Motti. gave that a mention, didn't he? I, 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 what I, what I, Everton were really good. They Everton, weren't bad, were they? Everton had a really good team. There were some absolutely great well, great. Some really excellent players. They had Thomas, who played for Queen's Park Rangers, who I thought was terrific. He'd been playing for England. They had Latchford. They had um, they bought this bloke, Mickey Walsh from Blackpool, who had a really a, a very good made a very good impression. Lost they a tooth. Andy King, who was uh, he had a perm as well, didn't he? Old um, Walsh. Um, yeah. Uh, Andy King. Even I think Kenny Swain had a perm. Kenny um, Swain did. But, yeah. Gary Stanley. Yeah, yeah. Ian Britton. They all, they, they all, they'd all, they'd all. They'd Clive all, Walker, what was left of his hair was permed. I had one as well. <laughs> you did not. You so did not. I did. Jesus wet me. <laughs> Do you know what I was? I was saying to Mark earlier, oh, e- even in the weird kind of backwater boondocks of the middle of Hampshire where I grew up, um, you know, basically, you know, we were getting into things like the ruts and the specials and and and. Uh, bands like that although that's more 79 so we we all became rude boys overnight i had a little red harrington you know so we we weren't into perms and tashes mate but then we were a bit younger we couldn't have grown a tash then too young i grew i grew a tash at um when i was in the national youth theater i grew a tash for a part and you had a perm took me an eternity no not then the perm was subsequent i then subsequently had the perm Um, there you go but that was with um um, those those rather large shirts that you had at the time as well with the bits sticking out, you know. Oh, my God. And yeah. kickers. I bet you had kickers as well, didn't you? How Red did you, kickers. How did you know? Because I remember my fashion from those days. Now, now the, I won't have anything red in the house. But then, I don't know. What, Nor will I. What matter with me? I don't know what, what I... I was mm. sort of less... I think it's because United weren't, weren't the force that they then became. It was more... Liverpool at the time, but even they weren't. I, I'm trying to think who were the best sides. But anyway, the the Everton were a terrific side, and what I was terribly aware of in that very first game of the season is even though it was only one nil, was how completely outclassed we were, because they just, could have been more than one. Oh, should have been. They just took us to the cleaners, and I, I'm. They were very impressive. Um, who else did they have? Um, uh, um, was it? No, that was um, Andy Pedic. 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 Played for um, played for Stoke. Terrific. 
terrific, uh, buzzy player. It just made us, you thought, I remember th- going and thinking, well, once again, as, as Mark's the same, we were saying we were, we're optimistic. You know, you think, yeah, they're going to do, uh, let's see what happens. It'll be much better than last season. And you think, it's men against boys here. Well, what what were your hopes, Jonathan, for the season? I mean, I know you're always optimistic. Well, you're always optimistic. You can't help it. You just think that somehow something might come together. They might discover something. But they just looked they looked outclassed, and uh, they, they, it looked a, um, it, it looked a division above for me from the very well, first game. You just thought, so well, were, your, were your were your hopes dented massively oh, after losing? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Wow. What what about you, Mark? I mean, I presume you were there. I, I was indeed. I remember a beautiful sunny day, um, over 30,000. Um, and I think we only really began to play in about the last 20 minutes. Um, and I think Ian Britton came on his sub about 20 minutes ago, and that's what gave us a bit of a lift. Um, uh, it wasn't a great start, but we'd lost, I think, the previous season to Everton 1-0 at the bridge as well, 77-82. Um, it didn't dent my enthusiasm before, after, I think it was after the Everton game, I then went and bought my, my train ticket and match ticket for Wolves uh, on the forthcoming Tuesday evening. Uh, and we won up at Wolves. So, yeah, we may have lost at home, but I'd have probably taken sort of like a win from the first couple of games, maybe, and a draw. And we end up with a win and a draw from our first three games because we beat Wolves with a Tommy Langley goal. And then we drew at Tottenham the following Saturday. But a couple of Swain goals. Kenny Swain, to me, was possibly the best player of, the, uh, of that season. And then, yeah. and they flog him. Well, we'll get to get get to the flogging later. But you're right. Two, he two was cracking goals. Act, a really class act, Kenny Swain. But this this was really important. Uh, you know, not not least because it it was you know probably the best run we had all season. Actually, no, we managed to win two games in a row towards the end of it or the middle of it. But. Um, as Mark will, I know, is gagging to tell us, uh, Tottenham had just come up from the second division because they'd been relegated. So this was supposed to be... I mean, we have this habit of ruining their, their parties and pissing on their parade. But the other thing, you know, I mentioned the 78 World Cup. Uh, they had uh, the much uh, vaunted uh, Aussie Ardilas and uh, Ricardo Villa playing for them. And I remember this at the time vividly. I mean, the whole, it was all Argentina crazy, wasn't it, Mark? And they had those two playing for them. Uh, they did. They they bought them sort of um, pre-season. They made their debut away at Nottingham Forest. And I think they played Aston Villa during the week. So this was their Saturday home debut because there was a bigger crowd than it was a London derby. And I was at White Hart Lane and that, that repeat of the 78 World Cup, all the ticker tape yeah. as they came out onto the pitch just, it was a replica of Argentina in the World Cup. They start well, Tottenham, and they, they take the lead. But each time, you know, when they take the lead, within a minute, Kenny Swain has equalised. And I think on the day, yeah, we were unlucky not to win the game. You know, it wasn't just about our dealers. You know, in the press beforehand, it was Wilkins versus Hoddle. And I thought Wilkins had a fine game that day as well. And that probably, other than those two games, that's probably when we peaked that season with a really tremendous um Point at White Hart Lane, and the other thing about that game, it was our first game back against Tottenham since they relegated us in Super Bowl Five. So yeah. there was a bit of a not surprising, a bit of a grudge attached to it, and it was the first time I'd ever been to White Hart Lane, the Chelsea Tottenham game. So first time I'd ever been to Seven Sisters Station, and that long walk, experiencing that for the first time before and after the game, you know, quite quite intimidating. Like experience. like Beirut, mate. It was like Beirut. <laughs> 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 I, I, I thought that um, they were great for the game, Ardiles and Villa. And uh, that, that strange thing of that they insisted on calling Villa 
they kept calling him Ricky, um, Ricky Villa, Ricky Villa, rather than yeah, Pia, which of course was, was yeah. His name. But they, they were they were terrific. Ardias is a terrific player. They're both terrific players, and I, I thought it enhanced the division actually as a consequence having them play. It was it was really. I mean, you know, as I said, I, I wasn't on the football radar half as much as you two at the time. Um, but it, it did. It was it was resounding throughout the league. I mean, it was it was you know huge news. The other thing that that caught my eye watching this today was uh, well the Umbro kits first of all, which I, always my favourite Chelsea kit, that dark blue with the Umbro markings down the side. But of course, this was uh, they Chelsea were playing in 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 what I like to call the, our Brazil. Uh, uh, kit you know the yellow shirt i mean actually it's more like bloody norwich mark why on earth didn't the people at the club you know bearing in mind they could you know the whole south american thing coming over why didn't they play with the kind of the the light blue shorts and flashings like brazil did i mean at least we could have pretended that we were watching brazil <laughs> brazil playing argentina oh uh, i think that's very picky i just love that kit uh, i love that kit don't get me wrong man i love it an absolute genius and while we're doing the show tonight uh, simultaneously if people are on twitter kenny rice is doing his oh. like, best ever away kicks his world cup of away kits and i cannot believe because i voted for the yellow away kit i did too yeah uh, it got knocked out in the early rounds no no Jeez. It's That's criminal. And I don't, you know, I rarely buy. It's been years since I bought a shirt. Um, um, but, you know, I, I've had that shirt and that's one of my prized Chelsea possessions. You know, I've got that yellow and green shirt and I've got it signed by all the players from that era. I got it done while I was doing the Eddie Mack book. As a Dimitri as player, I got each of them to sign that shirt till I ended up with the whole team. So that's got pride of place at home, that shirt. And, and also... Um, if you've seen the photo of Kenny Sway, there's a great photo. I think Hugh Hastings might take it with his arm aloft as he scores at Wild Lane. And I've got that picture frame that Kenny signed. Yeah, that was a Excellent. brilliant day at Wild Lane. We should have won the game. And it, that was kind of pretty much the high point of the season. So we can all go home now. No, no, we, we, we can't really. I know, no, don't worry. I know, don't don't panic. I'm, don't let the truth get in the way of a good story, Mark. Um, we then we then lose at home three 0 to Leeds, which must have been terrible. Uh, we lose away to Coventry. Uh, I mean, this is basically the start of this awful awful run that we go on. Um, just to kind of ruin it for everybody, basically we don't win a match from having beaten Wolves or draw well drawing against Spurs on the twenty sixth of August. We then lose one, two, three, four, five, six matches and draw one uh, before we play Bolton on the 14th. But before that, the, the, arguably the worst one is the Chelsea versus City match, Mark, where we got dubbed 4-1 with uh, Ron Futcher. Uh, who's he? I, I hear you all say, Played getting a hat-trick. Played for Luton. I know. Well, he could have got five or six. I mean, we got really seriously dubbed. The only, the only thing that... Uh, in fact, actually, I think I can't. Believe, I'm, I'm sure they might have done, but if I was writing the headlines, it would have been Futcher Butchers Chelsea, because that's pretty much what it was. But my favourite moment from that match is Mike Shannon, who, of course, a bit of a hero down where I come from, had, had transferred from Southampton, and uh, I could seriously hear the two fantastic chants. Actually, yeah, Shannon is a moron. Shannon is a moron. Do you remember that? I yeah. do. I do, and. It, it just was perfect timing, and I do love that about football fans. Sometimes spontaneity. Jill John was in the chart at that moment, and uh, that chant got. Re- we should bring it back. We should find you know um, 
so Shannon got it throughout the game. But also when we played away later in the season, when McKenzie goes back to Everton and the Everton fans were so cross at selling Duncan McKenzie, when McKenzie scores early doors, the whole stadium gets up to cheer at McKenzie, even the Everton fans. And they were singing Gordon is a moron about Gordon Lee. Wow. And then when we play Manchester United, by sheer luck, Man United had Gordon McQueen playing and Joe Jordan playing. <laughs> so we got both in the shed. We got Jordan is a moron and Gordon is perfect. So yeah, if a player called Gordon you know, plays at Stamford Bridge next season, we have to bring that chant back. But well, that was the only memorable part about the game. Um, I think they described our goal when Gary Stanley scores late on as a modicum of respectability. That oh, is- I, I know. I remember Brian Moore saying that. I'm thinking, what, what have you been smoking, Brian? Yeah. The, the other thing that caught my ear, as opposed to my eye from this, is one of my favourite chants of all time. Uh, not that I don't think it was ever sung since I've been going, but mates of mine used to giggle about it. And I used to sing it on the fan cast, which was... Um, it was just before our goal, I think. Um, whoever uh, fouled us, I don't know, I can't remember. But anyway, the crowd come out with, hit him on the head, hit him on the head, hit him on the head with a baseball bat. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah, which is absolutely one of my favourite chants. I mean, all I have to say about that match and uh, and really, you know, that period up until the Bolton game is that, you know, uh, Langley couldn't finish his dinner and our defence was woeful and the only other thing i noticed was that the porn ads had gone from stamford bridge uh, no more ads for dirty movies like emmanuel they're now beans means Heinz, which i thought was that that that's the kind of stuff that i'm interested in no i'm, I'm joking but i just thought it was an interesting observation but i mean and we gola, we will gola chidge a gola yes absolutely yeah yeah, yeah i yeah. had a pair of gola boots i think i may have been swayed by the advertising yeah, yeah, there you go. Um, I mean, it's funny watching these games back, and I and I wrote these little notes down, you know. And I was talking to Mark before we went on air, Jonathan, and and my, you know, if you watch all the matches that we we've been able to watch today, you would say, as I said, Langley couldn't finish his dinner. Langley um, was he, out of his depth all season. Just, but Mark Mark says he got the Player of the Year award. Well, yeah. and nonetheless, you despaired as to why they got rid of Finiston. I suppose they Shalito decided he he felt that. Langley would fit it fit with McKenzie, but I, I did. And then they got rid of Garner as well, who was always a a very decent uh, um, target. Man. Yeah, he 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 went off um, in, on the second of November to Cambridge United. Yeah, I mean the other thing is I would say is the, the observation that I had was just how woeful the defence was. Oh. But I think there's some mitigation there because I mean Mark will remind me when, but Mickey Droy missed about four months because he had a he had an opera, a kidney operation or something, didn't he? Which won't have helped. He, he, you're absolutely right. But the other thing that probably won't have helped either during the course of that season, we had 13 different centre back partnerships, so there was no stability in our defence. You know, we caught chopping and changing sometimes through injury, sometimes through suspension, sometimes through the manager. So many different pairings, and we had, I think, at least four goalkeepers during the course of the season as well. So there was a lot of chopping and changing, you know, in our defence. So that didn't help either. The only Chaos. thing I want to say about Tommy Langley is, uh, I, I thought he had a good season. He got sixteen goals, but I, I do agree he did sort of miss a lot of chances. That he almost had to have three to get one. A bit like Batshuayi. So a bit like Batshuayi. Yeah. 
don't tell Tommy we said that. He might be listening. Mm-hmm. If you're listening, Tommy, mm-hmm. I always loved you anyway. And I was never, I was not at QPR when the Chelsea fans sang, shoot Tommy Langley, we're going to shoot Tommy Langley. He said that Am I right, biggest, Mark? He said it was the biggest mistake of his life to yeah. QPR. He wish he'd never done it. He's a proper Chelsea boy, bless him. But yeah, he I, told I, a decent story about that, didn't he? About how he was just persuaded by being told you're getting £100 a week more. And he just found himself saying yes. Wasn't it Jonathan? Who was the chairman of QPR at that time? Was it Jim Gregory? Yeah, it might have been. Yeah, I, I think I think he said yeah he he. And then Tommy Dockett, he was manager. I think I remember, and I think he was locked in the room with Jim Gregory. I don't think they'd let him out until he agreed to sign. Right, uh, we're going to spin forward to. Um, I think a game that most people remember most fondly in this season. I mean, we only won five matches all bloody season, so it wouldn't be hard. But just judging by what people were saying on Twitter this afternoon, Mark, uh, a lot of people remember this fondly. It's when we played uh, Bolton Wanderers on the 14th of October, only to find ourselves uh, 3-0 down, um, if I can actually read, Gowling scores in 17 minutes. Frank Worthington, bless him. Gets a penalty on 36 and then Gowling scores another on 40. So we're 3-0 down in the first half, playing like absolute shit. But it all changes, doesn't it, in the second half, Mark? In fact, actually, in the last 20 minutes. Uh, it, it does. It does. All in the last 20 minutes. I, um, and it's great on Twitter today just watching that and just people's comments in there and people's wonderful memories of that game. Uh, I've said many times, this is in my top 10, probably top five, Chelsea games of all time. And I think it's one of those games you had to be there to experience it. You know, I think I've said, you know, when that fourth goal goes in, when Chelsea come back from there, there's not like steam rising from the shed end, you know, and, you know, people invading the pitch. It was just euphoria. But, you know, we went in at halftime, 3-0 down. And at that point, I had my season ticket. I used to stand in the right-hand side of the shed. Um, and, you know, you had the old moaners around you, you know, and this one guy said, "Oh, I've did you, did you used to sit next to Jonathan?" Then? <laughs> uh, had this, uh, you know, person moaned every week, but clearly he had something to moan about that day. And he waves his season ticket in the air as he's exiting the ground and says, oh, "That's it, I've had enough. Does anybody want my season ticket?" And <laughs> there was no takers because it's. A... <laughs> It was, it was dismal. That first it half was, was completely dismal. I remember, um, and, and uh, you know, you come back wearily after you've attempted to get a have a wee in the East Stand, and uh, you failed miserably because there are too many queues, and uh, you realise that if you don't return to your seat, you'll miss at least fifteen minutes of the second half. And then I was thinking, well, will it matter? They'll probably score another couple of goals, so I might as well carry on and uh, and have me wee. And uh, so I think I consequent. I can't remember the first goal where a Chelsea goal went in. I think I missed it because I was having a wee, um, or, or I went off. What, yeah, what, think, yeah, to work what out. Happened, what happened, Yeah, tell me what yeah. happened. I can't remember He's, that. Yeah, Clive Walker came on after sort of seventy-one minutes, but oh, after seventy booed. minutes, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. 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 Booed because the player Shalato took off was Gary Stanley. And Gary Stanley was probably one of the few players that day that was playing well. And everyone's going, what are you taking him off for? You could take all the rest of it off. So Walker comes on to a crescendo of booze. But within one minute, you know, we've got a goal back through to Tommy Langley. And then, you know, 12 minutes later, you know, we make it sort of 3-2 with Kenny Swain. Walker himself gets the third. And I can't remember, but it it was like a two-touch goal. that It starts in the fence. It might have been Ron Harris. 
but I could be wrong. It could have been, you know, one of the defenders. Yeah, you know, I think David Hay was playing that day. Um, and they do last one, game for us, mate. Yeah, it, it, they do one pass to Wilkins in the centre of the park. He does one pass to Walker, and Walker just takes on the fullback, which was um, can't, can't remember the fullback was for Bolton, and he makes it three three. And then there's just only one winner in this game, and there was a brilliant tweet put up by Martin Booth today because I think Rick Glanville asked the question has anyone ever asked Sam Allardyce about that fourth goal for Chelsea <laughs> and Martin Booth comes up and says he actually he won't name it he knows someone that has you know, and, and clearly Big Sam was not impressed when he was asked about that because it's a glorious moment when Walker puts that ball in and Allardyce clumsily puts the ball into his, his net and from 3-0 down to 4-3 just 20 minutes you know, there was only you know, a 19,000 crowd that day, but I'd have to say there was a lot less than 19,000 there because a lot of people had left at half time. But people just went mad at the end. It's an incredible experience. Excellent stuff. I saw and, the and... fourth goal through. You know, there was a gap at the edge of the stand um, before the. There was a little bit of greenery where the 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 the, um, uh, the floodlight pylon was. Do you remember that? Just to, at the end of the east stand, there was a yeah, yeah. It, it's a little gap. And and I don't know why I'd left. I'd left at three three with a minute to go. I've no idea why. Um, and uh, uh, and I saw the goal through the gap, and uh, was was sort of just bemused. I was uh, I was so disappointed in them as a side at the time that that I didn't. It didn't give me any hope. I'm afraid that game. That was the, well, that was the problem with it. I just remember thinking, "This all right? They may have come back and Walker's played out of his skin because a lot of the time he doesn't. A lot of the time he kicks the ball too far ahead and runs after it and uh, and doesn't get to it, or but to kicks the ball aimlessly. And but he came on and was brilliant. And uh, but I I was so because we'd had such a run of of uselessness. I suppose you there's always a feeling that there's going to be you know it'll be there's there's hope but it's a false dawn so I'm the hope it's the hope that kills you dashed that's right it was dashed uh and it was a false dawn again because you know we uh I mean basically I think after the Bournemouth game we were in 21st position and we'd been we'd been in that position we'd been in the bottom three since we lost to City which was back in September I think um yeah, so 16th of September. We were in the bottom three since then. Uh, we only won twice in the first three months. Um, and then we play uh, Man United at home on the 25th of uh, of November. A strong, a very strong United side, it has to be said. This is, of course, under our old manager, Dave Sexton. But if you look at this United side, uh, Gary Bailey, Brian Greenoff, Stuart Houston, Sammy McElroy... Gordon McQueen, uh, also known as Gordon is a moron. Uh, Martin Buchan, Steve Coppel, Jimmy Greenoff, Joe Jordan, uh, Lee McCurry, and uh, Mark, a certain Mickey Thomas making his debut. He did make his debut that day. and They went on to win the FA Cup, didn't they, that year? No, they didn't. They lost They lost they, to they Arsenal, lost, didn't they? They lost in the final to that last-minute Southern yeah, goal. Yeah, the yeah, five-minute final. I think they bought him that week because in the programme, um, the number 11 was a guy called Tommy Sloan who was down to play... So I don't I don't remember Tommy Sloan. So Mickey Thomas came in to replace him. And I think he made the goal. I think Greenoff scored it. Just a couple of things just going to mention following on before, from that Bolton game and that you know sort of feeling afterwards. There was a feeling for Optimus as well, briefly, because Brian Mears had flown out um, to Yugoslavia 
to talk to Milan Milinic, who was the then um, Yugoslavian coach, but also managed Real Madrid. And there was a lot of talk. And if you watch, yes. you watch the video for that Bolton game, at the start of the video, he's sitting in the East Stand. And there was talk of him becoming sort of like a director of football, with Shalitou remaining coach. But remember, for some reason... Great. I really remember that. That was very obvious. That he yes. was very much in the press at the time as a consequence. Yeah. And he actually said after the Bolton game, you know, he, he, he didn't need to join Chelsea because they didn't need him on the back of that one game. And we were going, no, we need him. We need him. Yeah. And for some reason, he kept Mears. And Mears talks about it in his book. Yeah, he, he kept having that dialogue, but never pushed it over the line. And then Shellato gradually got nervous, having originally agreed to the idea. And Mears suggested that Shellato had been put off by some of the other England managers. They said, this is a thin end of the wedge, you know, a foreign manager coming in to manage an English club where he looks at 40 years on where we are, where we are today. I know. And, and, and then the other thing to flag, we played Norwich City, and it's, it's a Duncan McKenzie story. And Norwich were managed by John Bond. And, you know, McKenzie was doing all his flicks and tricks, you know, and I think he wound up John Bond over at the touchline. So John Bond's sort of, you know, his back heels and stuff like that, you know, of course, McKenzie, when a throw comes in and says something, so why do you keep doing that? Are you, you know, and McKenzie goes, because I can. <laughs> Love it. Because I can. You know, good enough to do that jump, yeah. But yeah, the Man United game, really, really disappointing. Uh, and I think that was when you really began to think, you know what, this isn't working. Um, in that game, I think if you listen to it, you can hear the crowd chanting for Eddie McCready yeah, on the videotape. And they, you know, the signs from then on that, yeah, home games, people chanting for Eddie McCready. And there's a slight, uh, and people who haven't watched it, go onto YouTube and watch it. If you watch that video clip of that Man United game, just before the end of the game, and I think John... Watson talks about Brian Mears leaving his seat before the end of the game. You look third on the row, and there's a gentleman there with white hair and a beard. This is 1970. Not Father Christmas. And it's not Father Christmas or, uh, or the Smurfs either. It's a Kenneth William Bates who was there <laughs> as Brian Mears' guest that day. Weird, weird. Um, I mean, it was a nadir in a sense, wasn't it? I mean, what I would say, I mean, I, I mean, uh, Brian Moore mentions it on commentary that you know, that we looked like a team completely lacking in confidence by then. I have to say, what what uh, tickled me watching the game was how brilliant the Chelsea support was, Jonathan. It was just really vociferous and behind the team. I mean, I, I get what Mark's saying about the Eddie McCready, but they, they it was a proper role and it was really good, the atmosphere, and, I thought. Unless they left at half-time, of course. But those that, re- well, no, I those think, that I remained, think was... those that remained were... Uh were very keen to uh, to show their support. I mean, that's a constant, Chidge. There's always a co- there's always a core who are. Uh, 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 I think lots of them were the same people who went away. I think nowadays there's much more of a difference. You get people who only go away, um, or you get stalwarts going away. But in this instance, uh, it was it was an adventure supporting the team. Um, but uh, uh, just to bring it back to this Milan Milandovic, whatever his name was, I remember at the time being so hoping that they would get him because they so needed something else to happen to them as a team. I was just bemused by the, the, the lack of quality players in comparison with some of these other teams who came down. Like Man United, as you said, had some really top, top players. And, and I, I was also in despair at the fact we'd, that they'd allowed it to go like this when um, uh, it, it just, it, the, 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 
the what's his face Mackenzie signing seemed to sum it up, which was they they bought a a talented um, character, which is the kind of person that they'd had before and made it work. And but they'd around him, they just hadn't they hadn't got the same kind of players. So it it was they were they were always going into games just looking outclassed. I keep going about it. You know the the Man City game that you mentioned, where they were completely taken to the cleaners had. Had Barnes, another terrific player. They had Hartford, another great player. As you said, had Channon. Um, they, they, every team had four or five really class players. And Chelsea didn't have any. They had Wilkins, who was hot and cold because he was having to, to take the, the brunt, full brunt of it. Um, but other than that, it, it just didn't stand out as a, as a, as a team, unfortunately. Well, we uh, we've still got about half of the season to go. We're going to get into that uh, in the in the next part, part three. But before we do that, uh, a little gentle reminder that we do have what they call a Patreon uh, account, uh, which is a kind of a website where you can uh, support what we do on the Chelsea Fancast and help cover the costs of running all the shows that we do, and hopefully uh, allow us to continue doing them. So. If you want to donate, doesn't matter how much, as little or as much as you like, uh, but you pay like a monthly donation uh, via Patreon, which is patreon.com slash Chelsea Fancast. Uh, also, it's a good way to get, get in touch with us. Um, you know, I, I, I have the app, so if you send a message on there, I see it and I try and respond as quickly as I can. So thank you to all of our wonderful Patreons. Uh, it really is very, very much appreciated that you do continue to uh, to donate a little bit every month, in spite of the fact that I don't do what all the other people who have Patreon accounts do and actually do something for it. I, I think we do the show. I think that's kind of what I'm saying, but there you go. Right, uh, part three coming up uh, with the second half of the 78-79 season. See you in a minute. Cheech. JK, in all the years you've been following Chelsea, you hardly ever miss a match, home or away. But how would you feel if you couldn't be there and it's not on TV. Oh, Chich, I'd be bereft. Inconsolable. The thought of missing my beloved Blue Boys live. <laughs> it's all too much. <laughs> I know, JK, I know. It's all a bit too much, isn't it? Yes. <laughs> well, panic not. NordVPN have come to the rescue. They have? Yep, NordVPN allows us to watch any match, even if it's not on live TV here. They do? Yeah, they do. With just one click, they switch your virtual location to a country which is showing the match and they act as your cyber bodyguard whilst online, protecting your personal data and sensitive info like card details and passwords. Oh, wow. Great. Uh, But yeah, I bet that'll cost me a fortune. Actually, JK, it's only the price of a cup of coffee per month and you can use your account across six devices. It's a bargain, JK. And best of all... No more tears for you. Oh, thank you. Thank you, NordVPN. I'm so happy. I could cry. <laughs> Where do I sign up, Ginge? Well, to get the best discount off your NordVPN plan, go to nordvpn.com forward slash Chelsea Fancast. There's no risk with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee, and you'll help support the Chelsea Fancast. The link is in the podcast episode description box. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. You in? Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com.
fans, real opinions. I'm Jason Cundy, and you're listening to Chidge and the Boys on the Chelsea Football Fancast. Total nutters and proper Chelsea. Footballfancast.com Welcome back. This is Jam for Jidge and the Chelsea Fancast with Mr. Jonathan Kidd. Cooley. The right honourable Jonathan Kidd, in fact. Oh, Chidgerama. And because uh, you are a member of my Privy Council, is think that, about it. Is that in your loo? Well, you're always going to the loo at half time. Yeah, that's quite... Um, yeah, I have to tell you the truth. Occasionally I don't. Occasionally I get a cup of tea. You do. I know. I know. And uh, I've got the Right Honourable uh, Mark Meehan, who is a member of the Star Chamber. Not the Star Chamber pot, I hasten to add, although he did go off for a wee. I did indeed, but I didn't have a cup of tea, so I won't need to go to a wee again for the rest of the show. Good man. All right, let's crack on because there's still so much to talk about. We kind of left you hanging in suspenders, really, with Chelsea losing at home to Man United 1-0. Uh, on the 25th of November 1978. Chelsea then had another game at home against Aston Villa uh, and they lost that 1-0 on the 9th of December. And then the shit hit the fan because basically Ken Shalito gets the boot on the 13th of uh, uh, December. Uh, And then for about eight hours, Frank the Tank Upton is made manager. I've got a very funny story about this. And then Danny Blanchflower is made manager on the 14th of December. Now, I, when I did the Chelsea specials, and I, I had a great interview with Gary Chivers, who is, who is hilarious, by the way. It's well worth listening to this. He told me the story about this, that they were all hang, the players were all hanging around. Ken had been fired. And then Frank, uh, Frank turns up and says, I'm the new gaffer. Call me gaffer. Uh, and they all knew that he hadn't been made manager. <laughs> and then, lo and behold, six hours later, he was not manager, and it was Danny Blanchflower. So poor old Frank had been sold a bit of a bit of a lemon there, I think. But I mean, clearly the right decision, uh, Mark. Yeah, uh, yeah, clearly the right decision. Again, as I said, when we talked about Man United, the Villa game before people, yeah, were calling you know for Eddie McCready to come back. I think Shellato himself had actually tried to resign before that, and Brian Mears, yeah, persuaded him to stay on. But I think they amicably came to the conclusion. Um, and on the Frank Upton thing, yeah, he was manager for less than a day. I've got a slight variation on that same story. It involves Peter Osgood. That when Frank Upton got the job and he came into the dressing room, he said to all the players, "Right now, lads, you know you're going to have to call me boss." And Osgood joined yeah. that day. Yeah, Peter Osgood had just come back that day, uh, and he sort of says, "You know, cheekily, whatever you say, Frank." Round <laughs> Frank up, no end. And then soon after, within 24 hours, uh, Danny Blanchard has got the job. So Upton sticks his head round the door again and he says to him, it's okay, lads, you can call me Frank again. <laughs> Brilliant. Yeah, that's pretty. That's a good variance. It's much the same kind of story from Gary. Um, before we get onto Aussie returning, which you teased beautifully there, Mark, Danny Blanchflower, I mean, rather than going with, with the hindsight of what we now know, but what did you both think of, of Danny Blanchflower being appointed? Jonathan? He'd be one of the great players in the 50s and 60s. and He captained Spurs to the double, and they were the, the push-and-run side of the period. They, they, they were a passing, passing team, and they were um, pretty innovative because of this way of playing, which didn't involve the long ball as much as most teams played. And so um, there was the possibility that he might bring back that kind of football. I think he even mentioned that in a speech to, which he gave 
which he was giving to the press. But um, uh, I, I, personally, I, I, I don't understand what what was going on in the club at the time, in that uh, they get rid of McCready, they appoint somebody who can't do it, who is clearly inept, and they appoint somebody equally just not right for a first division club um i suppose if they were bottom did you know that did you know that at the time though? I, uh, well you you hoped that there would you wondered why you wondered why he it was a bit of a weird appointment it was a right? weird appointment but at the same time um he was out of your folklore he'd he'd uh he'd, he'd, he'd captain northern ireland he'd been he was a um uh, he was on match of the day as a pundit he expressed himself very well he was charming um, he was a gentleman, and you thought. How, how did he? How did he speak, Jonathan? A bit like that. There was a kind of sort of you know, sort of slightly posh Belfast voice he had. Seriously, he did. It was sort of you know. Well, you know, I remember watching Match of the Day the other day. There was a Match of the Day that I think it was Chelsea, whatever it was. I came and they asked him, and he was a bit rubbish. Let's be frank, he was a bit on his on his toes. Well, that wasn't a very good game, was it? That was a bit um, un. Uh, how can I put it? A bit un. You could think, no, say something else, Danny. Say something else. But, but at the same time, this was new. This was this was Wollstoneholme um, handing over to him live at the get. Not live. It was recorded after the game, so it was all new. So you forgave them everything. And he was he was Danny Blanchard, been a, a terrific player, really terrific player. Um, and he would won the double, as I said, with Spurs. Um, so there was a hope. Yes. What will you know? As always, what will this man bring to the club? What are we going to get here? But when you think about it. With all these other thrusting managers, it was clearly somebody who they were paying a tenner a week to. And uh, the more you think about it, the more it was all, um, it was a fire sale. Let's get in somebody just to to get us through to the end of the season and then we'll go down. It was, you, you, yeah, that was the way it appeared to be to me. There was no hope. And the, well, meanwhile, the club, the club are still plummeting towards bankruptcy, aren't they? Yeah, they're still skint. They're still skin. completely skint. So that's why they got him in. You think it was something altruistic, and he was going to present his great philosophy of football, and it would work. But no, he was—he was decent, a very decent journalist, a very decent man, but clearly, uh, clearly not up for the job. Mark, uh, w- w- would you agree with all of that? Have you got anything to add to that? Yeah, it's a, a strange appointment, and there wasn't even any time for any press speculation because you know Ken, Ken Shellato, I think, went on the thirteenth, and then Danny Blanchard was there on the fourth. So there really wasn't any time to think about it. And, and it was quite strange because the night before Shellato got the push or stood down, I was at Charlie Cook's testimonial. And then, yeah, it was only about 6,000. And there was no real campaign to get rid of Shellato, even though I said they might chant for Eddie McCready. There was no Shellato out. And there was no, no, there was no sense perhaps that this was coming. And even sort of Brian Mears in his book, you know, he even said himself, I never thought of Danny as a club manager, particularly for Chelsea. And then when he introduced to the other directors, they never thought he was a manager either. So why do they hire him? (laughs) Why did they hire him then? Why did they hire him? So was it we already resigned to relegation and he was available? You know, because Brian Mears in his book talks about John Bonds, Terry Venables. Venables was a young up-and-coming coach. I think he was at Crystal Palace at that time. Ex-Chelsea, of course. Yeah, and ex-Chelsea. Um, and you know, he even says about John Bond, who had a good track record at Norwich City. Yeah. You know, yeah, you know, I first thought of John Bond, you know, who later went on to Manchester City, but somehow I could never see John Bond as a manager of Chelsea. So, yeah. 
Yeah, very strange appointment. And, you know, in hindsight, yeah, probably a bad appointment. Definitely a bad appointment. Indeed. Now, um, talking of bad appointments or strange ones, did any of you see this happening, which is actually the same day that Danny Banchfarr has uh, appointed the Chelsea manager on the 14th of December, uh, the return of the King. Peter Osgood uh, comes back from Philadelphia Fury for 25 grand, JK. Um, well, once again, our hopes were high, Chidge. You've been calling from for the last four years. I, yes, I know, I know. But by then, um, he was a shadow of the player he'd been, unfortunately. So, um, and it was pretty, pretty obvious after his first appearance when he didn't do much, didn't look very mobile and and fouled a lot of people. So um, it was a disappointment. But yeah, once again, we thought, well, you know, what's going to happen now? There's always this thing of, of you always, there's this hope. He's always thinking, oh, I wonder what's going to happen now. Perhaps he'll galvanise the side. Perhaps they'll make an effort. But they were out of their depth in that division with, um, and they were headless and they weren't being given the right advice. So... Did you welcome Aussie back with open arms, Mark? I did, because um, I'd only seen him a few times um, in the 70s as a player. So and I think when we spoke, in the, even the first time I went to Chelsea, Aussie wasn't even playing. Um, but there'd been a lot of press speculation prior to him joining us that he was coming back from America. So his name was even being sung on the terrace before he came back. So there was that excitement that Peter Osgood came home, he was back, the king of Stamford Bridge. But other than a couple of, you know, you know, obviously the first game he plays in Middlesbrough when he scores that goal, a couple of fits and starts, you know, I don't think he was fully fit. And there was no, very never few fit. Never looked fit, Mark, ever. Yeah, didn't look fit at all. You know, he even, he even played midfield at times. I think he played sweep on one occasion or two occasions. It just never happened. It was really, he played in central defence, didn't he? It did. It, did. Yeah, yeah. it never happens. You know, just really, really sad. And, you know, then he fell out with Jeff Hurst and then he, he left the following season. All very, very odd. Uh, also very odd, which I must must have been like a dagger to the heart for you, JK, was Kenny Swain being sold to Villa for a hundred grand the same day. Well, that was another that was another sale to to to, to appease the bank manager, wasn't it? Clearly, must have been because he went on to win the European he, Cup with Villa he, as a fullback he, he, two he years later. The, he was one of the best players. He was yeah, I know, he was a terrific, terrific player. And meanwhile, Butch is still hanging on. That's the thing. We'll get we'll get to Butch later, but uh, indeed there are other. There's a, the interesting thing is I'll, I'll tease it now, and I'll, I'll try and do this chronologically. But there are quite a lot of other comings and goings towards the end of the season that raise quite a few eyebrows, I think. But before we get to that, we should talk about the uh, the noteworthy uh, first game in charge for uh, said Danny Blanchflower when Chelsea go to, uh, what was in those days, Ayrson Park to play in Middlesbrough. Uh, there can't be too many Chelsea managers, Mark, whose first game ends in a 7-2 defeat. Uh, I don't recall any Chelsea managers whose first game ends in a 7-2 defeat, and, and especially after they take the lead as well. With Osgood scoring on his on his return back to the club. Yeah, Osgood had... You know, Awful result, and if you're going to and get beat seven two, you know if we'd lost say to the Liverpool side of that season, you might have understood it because you know they were a very good side, you know that season or the Nottingham Forest side, but losing seven two to Middlesbrough, bloody hell! Quite quite astonishing, isn't it? I mean, they were actually only five places above us at the time. Yeah, 
So as you say, it wasn't exact. It wasn't like we were playing Liverpool, was it? Um, we follow that up with uh, a five-one defeat away to Ipswich uh, a few matches later. Now that's no shame actually, because Ipswich were were a pretty decent side at the time. Uh, I think they won the they'd won the FA Cup that year, hadn't they? Seventy-eight. They seventy-eight. Roger Osborne, yeah. Yeah, they were the cup holders. It was the penultimate day of the year. I actually wrote about this game in CFC UK this year, a few, a few issues back. You know, I, I went to this game. It was freezing up there. It was snowing, um, and we got a, an absolute tonking that day. You know, so so we lost five-one, and it could easily be easily be more. I think. We were four 0 down just after the second half had started. We really did not play well that day. Well, talking of snow, mate, um, you know, having watched these games back, probably the only other relative high point of the season. Well, there were there were, there were there's, there's this and there's another match which I, I will go into in a minute. But we go up to Man City on the twentieth of January. Uh, we find ourselves one uh, nil down after eight minutes. Uh, remember they tonked us four one earlier in the season, but the the thing that that just I find remarkable about this was, um, just the snow. Actually, I mean that it was like it, the the last time I've seen a match like that was when we played Tromso away. I mean, and of course that funny orange ball they that they played to with. Call games off in those days. They they were, weren't they? Used to say it's the same for both sides. Yeah, of course, which reality, is true. Was it? Well, no, but it wasn't. It wasn't because one side frequently had ball players, expensive, skillful players who were rendered into well, into slithering idiots. Can I just take uh, a sec before we get on? Well, before before you do, just yeah. to qualify that point, I agree with you actually because you can't say that, and then when you get a cup match where you have to go and play Hereford away in a cow field, right, and then say, oh, it's a great level of the pitch. Which is what they always used to say, wasn't it? They always used to say, yeah, yeah. But it used to be, but I mean, it's like Wolves when they beat Honved, who were supposed to be the the world champions in the 50s. They watered the pitch because uh, uh, they knew that the, the, uh, the Hungarians had a slick passing game. And so all that Wolves did was boot the ball up the wings and centre it and then smash the ball into the net by barging the goalkeeper in. And yet, and they won that way. So they cheated Wolves uh, in order to uh, to maintain the uh, superiority of the English game because that's what the English game was based on at the time. So it always, it, it's a leveller to the extent that it means that one side, the, the, the better footballing side can't play and is brought down by the elements. But just, just to digress, I was at the Man United Chelsea game at Old Trafford with Hugh Hastings, the photographer and the publisher and the, the editor of the of the programme. And I sat, I sat, that's the wrong expression, I lay with him behind the goal uh, as a, a photographer. I had a press pass. And um, uh, Johnson played for Chelsea and was, uh, and was um, consistently uh, um, bullied by Greenhoff, who was playing right back. But what was so remarkable was that Bailey, the Man United goalkeeper, was abused by Greenoff nonstop. About, uh, uh, this is Brian Greenoff, um, who was Jimmy Greenoff's brother, fullback, for being useless. And he kept saying, you're fucking useless, fucking useless, fucking kick it. And Bailey, of course, was a South African. And I had no idea that that, that kind of thing happened on your within your own team. And yet they won 3-0. He was just constantly at him. And as being a being lying with the photographers, you just heard this banter nonstop. But I remember being uh, uh, absolutely bemused by Osgood's performance, who was once again to go back to it, fat, out of condition, unfit, 
and just niggly. And I thought and, this is absolutely a waste of time. Here. And yet, and yet he scores. And no, yet no, no, he this scores. This is three nil. This is Man United Chelsea away. Oh, the uh, the cup match. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, going back to the City match, he he scores. I mean, we win we win three two yeah, yeah. Uh, with a with a breakaway Clive Walker goal uh, on seventy nine minutes. Uh, Aussie scores, yes. Uh, so does Duncan McKenzie scores with a free kick uh, to equalise, uh, which was in fact his last appearance. Mock. So why it was his last appearance? Because I mean, he he does get sold uh, about two months later. Uh, to Blackburn for eighty grand, but um, why was it his last appearance, Mark? Uh, out of favour, Blanchard. Blanchard didn't rate him. So if you look, then he he doesn't actually play him much after he become becomes manager. Well, that is his final appearance. His final appearance. He, he doesn't mm. doesn't figure at all. I, I think um, Duncan was also homesick. As I said, I mentioned earlier, I've got his book, but there is tragedy. Sadly, if people don't know this, um, that. Um, He'd just become a father, and his son Ross, around about that time, dies from a cot death. Oh wow! Yeah, so and another, you know, not not many people sort of know that. And I was reading his book, and really, and I knew that because Kenny Swain had told me that. But then when you read it, and it really hits you. So he actually moved to Blackburn, and I think he took a drop of a couple of divisions, you know, and a drop in salary as well, just to move back home because I think his wife was still up in the northwest of England from when he'd been at Everton. Um, and then it was 11 years before they had you know, another child and they got a, a, a daughter. So they had to wait that long. So very, very sad. I think that's part of the reason why he moved back as well. But also, he wasn't being played by Blanchard, which, which was a shame. So, yeah, the City was his swan song game. I think the other thing I'd add about that sort of weather, uh, it was a different kind of winter of discontent. Um, actually, there was a number of games, strange enough, we had postponed around then. Um, the only game we had up until the City game from Christmas was the Man United cup game Jonathan was just talking about um, our, our games against sort of Arsenal, Coventry all postponed so we had a lean period of hardly playing any football so that Manchester City game was all the more surprising as we hadn't had a league game for three weeks you know. and then there's wow. another great clip um, talk about when games amazingly went on as you find it Arsenal played Sheffield Wednesday in the cup when we played Man United and Pat Jennings uh, up at Hill gets absolutely pelted with snowballs by the Sheffield Wednesday fan. It's absolutely brilliant, brilliant to watch. But yeah, I remember that. Yeah. I remember that. Yeah. And then, then we have our, our our run of two wins when we beat Birmingham the following week. Well, there we go. The high point of the season. I mean, this this is around the time just after this. It all gets a bit mental, and I, I need some explanation from you boys. On the one hand, we we sell Steve Wicks to Derby County for two hundred seventy five grand. Uh, we sell uh, Ray Lewington to Vancouver Whitecaps for forty grand. Oh. We uh, buy Eamon Bannon from Hearts for two hundred grand, um, and we buy Peter Barota uh, for for seventy grand from Partizan Belgrade. What's going on, Mark? It's crazy. Some very strange transfer dealings. Um, yeah, and that's what not, struck me. Whether or not the board was saying to Blanchard, if you want to bring any players in and sign any players, you had to sell players. But some of the players we sold, you know, were probably some of the strongest players in the side that season. You know, Wicks in defence, really strange decision. And again, Steve, another player, didn't want to leave, but yet we sold him. Kenny Swain, another player, didn't want to leave. Ray Lewington, didn't want to leave. Um, so very strange. A bizarre, a bizarre club to go to, Vancouver Whitecaps. You'd have thought 
you know, they obviously they just came in for him. I mean, yeah. uh, you'd have thought Lewing Lewington was a decent player and, yeah, and had yeah. really done well under McCready, of course, um, uh, who was playing him. He called him his tank, didn't he? So you, 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 what, what I find dreadful is the fact that this, the way they played under McCready, which was so obviously um, very novel and it was, it was a very radical way of playing, was just ignored by managers who were just incapable of, of, of understanding that they, before the team had played in a very specific way, that had made them into a really good force. And they just weren't playing that way anymore. Well, it, it kind of all gets a bit surreal for me, I think. And again, I, I, when we summarise and reflect on this, I, I, shall, I shall grill you both on this. But uh, the only... Uh, there's, I mean, in a sense, there's only one you know good, positive match of note, I think, for the rest of the season. And it happens to be Petar Barotta's debut. And I, I watched this, I think it was the big, I think it was a match of the day they had it on. Chelsea against Liverpool on the 3rd of March, 79. It was the big match, Gidge. It was the big match. My apologies. It's it's funny, isn't it? They kind of, I only watched it about three hours ago. Anyway, whatever. Um, and I mean, bizarre, absolutely bizarre. We're, we're bottom of the league, pretty much, or, or 21st. Liverpool are top, hunting down another title. Uh, probably European champions as well, no doubt. And yet we seem to have an Indian sign on this side because we play out of our skins. I mean, frankly, you know, uh, we, we we hit the post it's uh, twice. Uh, it's cleared off the line. We were so much the, the better side. Um, and, uh, and, and basically Liverpool were very lucky to get away with a nil-nil win. And it just kind of belies the absolute shit that Chelsea managed to serve up for most of that season, Jonathan. Well, you just wonder whether they just get inspired by certain games and they've got a good record against Liverpool. So, But it is, it is very peculiar. You'd have thought they'd but to, take to put, the cleaners, don't you, really? To put this into context, given the, who we've just sold, right? Oh. We, we've got... We've got uh, John Sitton and Mickey Nutton playing, who who uh, <laughs> were, were never great players. I'm just I think Bannon was a decent signing because he was very industrious. And once again, you do that thing of thinking, oh, who's this? Who's this player? He must be good. They've paid two hundred thousand for him, and he had a very good press, and uh, and he 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 got about all over the pitch, you know. So he was a he was a decent player, and. Uh, uh, I, I haven't got a great memory of the game, I'm afraid, did, well, the, did, um, did Walker play? I can't remember. Uh, yeah, Clive Walker play. I'll, I'll give you the team. Peter Barota, Graham Wilkins, David Stride, Eamon Bannon, John Sitton, Mickey Nutton, Gary Stanley, uh, Ray Wilkins, Ron Harris, Tommy Langley and Clive Walker. Mark, one of the things that intrigued me about this is that Ron Harris was wearing the number nine shirt. What was all that about? Uh, this is the Ron Harris Irish coffee story. Uh, Ron, Ron, Ron wasn't down to play. Uh, Peter Osgood was down to play, um, and Ron was in the restaurant in the East Stand before the game. He'd had a fine lunch. He had a few glasses of wine, and he'd had a large number of Irish coffees for dessert. So this is about half past one on the day of the game when the call comes through that Osgood has failed a fitness test and won't be playing. So Harris of deputised for Osgood, but he actually plays centre of midfield. And actually, you know, there's a couple of plays well in the game where he, he nearly scores a couple of blind goals. And the journalist Jeff Powell afterwards said it was Ron Harris's best game for Chelsea in 17 years. Yeah, and wow! Brilliant yellow card. I don't know if you remember when you're watching it, where he just literally just comes in behind David Johnson. And yeah, he puts, 
He studs in the back of David Johnson's leg, right in front of the referee. That would get you a red card now. But, you know, just a typical Ron Harris challenge. He got there as soon as he could. Had to get that one in. Yeah, it was. he did play really, really well. I mean, the whole side did. I mean, the other the other interesting things that... that uh, uh, drew my attention earlier uh, earlier on today. Uh, Clements clattering into Emlyn Hughes and leaving him pilots on the ground. What a shame! Um, but of course, it's our it's our first sign of the Jekyll and the Hyde of Petter Barota, who who comes out at every available opportunity, almost like you, you could put the clown music, you know. And then there's there's, a, there's another great. I mean, he he, can, he comes out almost to about eighteen twenty yards. And, and misses the ball. But on the other hand, he pulls off this unbelievable acrobatic save, which had Brian Moore purring uh, from Kenny Dalgleish. So, uh, and he was, I mean, if you watched, I watched the highlights of it today, and he was very much the fe- feature of it. And of course, he gets a little interview afterwards. But welcome to Chelsea, Petter Barotta. Mark. A very eccentric character. So you didn't know what would happen next. Some of the saves he would pull off would take your breath away. But then some. Some of the goals, you know, would have you tearing your hair out. And I think it was a couple of occasions where he was up the other end of the pitch trying to score a goal to get it back. A uh, short period of time while he was there, you know, a real cult figure at Stamford Bridge. But that save he made from Dalgleish, uh, absolutely brilliant, brilliant, brilliant save. Indeed. Um, nevertheless, we didn't win. We still remain uh, very rooted to the bottom of the table. Um, and, and really, you know, that... That last kind of run of games. I mean, it was interesting actually because Ray Wilkins was interviewed after that game and was saying, um, you know, but Brian Moore was being realistic and saying, well, really, you've got to win every game to to stay up. And he said, well, why not? Uh, well, what happened, Ray, was we lost uh, every single one of them, apart from drawing one one with Derby County and winning two one against Middlesbrough. But in amongst all of that is a horrible three one loss to QPR at home, a six nil drubbing away at Forest. No shame there. They're a damn good side, obviously. Uh, and uh, and a 5-2 defeat away to Arsenal. Uh, do either of you two remember any of those horrors? I, I remember all three. I was at all three, Chidge. Um, the QPR game was probably... I think there was probably about a dozen games to go at that time. And that's probably the time where mm. I think I'd resign myself you know, to, to relegation. You know, because I think we had a game in hands over QPR... Um, coming up, I think it might be the Derby game. But So we lost to QPR, so that was a four-pointer. And then we played Derby, and we were 1-0 up Derby. Um, it might have been before, and I think Roy McFarlane scored in the 89 minutes, and I just thought, you know what, we're going down. And then we went to Forest, and obviously Forest were a really good side then. And another night where it was windy, it rained, it snowed, and the Chelsea support that night at the City ground was tremendous. About 3,000 Chelsea fans doing that Chelsea, Chelsea chant for about the last half hour of the game. And that was quite important because we were already 6-0 down. We were down to 10 men. Uh, actually, about 20 minutes ago because John Sitton went off uh, injured. Uh, so we played the last 20 minutes, 6-0 down at Nottingham Forest with 10 men. And for that last 20 minutes, Chelsea fans sang constantly. At the end of the game, the Forest fans you know, gave the Chelsea fans a round of applause. And then in the next match programme, Brian Mears you know, wrote a special piece about the travelling fans. And I just tremendous show support. But then the Arsenal game, you know, what, what I've said about that Arsenal game, I, I wrote about it in Chelsea here, Chelsea there. I think I said relegation didn't happen at Arsenal. It happened over the course of that whole previous nine months. You know? But being at Highbury that day, 
Oh, grim. We were three 0 down. <laughs> Clive Walker made it three one. No, two one down. Um, yeah, two 0 down. Clive Walker made it two one. And then Arsenal get three goals, I think, in about the last 10, 10 minutes. Well, 80 minutes, 82 minutes, 85 minutes. And then Tommy Langley gets his cracking goal from about 20 yards out, but too little, too late. And just got this memory. You know, I was actually in the North Bank that day, um, rather than the clock end, but there weren't many Chelsea fans in the North Bank there. There's about 200. Uh, and we're all in one section of the North Bank. And then just walking up, to head to the exit. And all you can hear is Arsenal fans you know, singing, going down, going down, going down, just... You know, really awful feeling be, being relegated. You know, so, uh, would not wish that on any Chelsea fan in the modern day Chelsea, you know, Chelsea era. Relegation is awful. Yeah, and I mean, to, to put a lid on it, um, two wins from our first 22 league games, worst ever Division 1 performance, relegated bottom on 20 points from 42 games, won five, drew 10, lost 27. I mean, I mean, we know, obviously, because we're we're not, you know, we're we're talking about this, you know, four years down the line or whatever. That arguably there were worst seasons to come, but I, I, you know, it's a good question to ask. I mean, how bad does this rank uh, in Chelsea seasons? Worst, J.K. You worst ever for you, Mark. Worst, worst ever season in Chelsea's history. No, why? Why so? Yeah. Why so? Uh, well, the relegations were started, but just how badly we played that season, some of the defeats we had. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, in all my years of supporting Chelsea, I don't remember a season as, as bad as, as bad as that one. And even the signs were there, you know, even at the halfway point of the season and the whole of 1978, you, you gave the stats about two wins and 22 league games. We should have seen it there in 78 because we didn't play well in the second half of Shellato's first season. If you look at the 42 games played in 1978, we only got 26 points. So so the relegations were signed were already there long before relegation happens. Yeah. Mm. Jonathan, for you? Um, I found the whole of this period difficult, the whole of the 70s, um, the yo-yo aspect of it. The, uh, the disappointment was, I mean, I'd written them off here um, before the last, you know, when they just had the run of games. I, I'd written them off about April, really. I just thought they were... It was a dreadful team, and their heads went down too soon. Um, but, you know, I, I, once again, I'm remembering from, I suppose, with the knowledge of how good we've become, uh, you, you sort of just, you, you grinned and bore it. You know, you went, it didn't stop you from supporting your team. Um, but it was horrendously disappointing. And uh, it, uh, for me, it was, relegation was inevitable, so it wasn't, it round about Bristol City, I think, so possibly earlier. So I was kind of, I was resigned to it, so it wasn't as hard a blow. I think if they'd been battling to stay up and then lost it on the last last game of the season or something, last two games, I'd have been bitterly disappointed. But there was a kind of, of resignation that this was a poor team. Um, and so you just you accepted it. But yeah, I, I agree completely with Mark. It was uh, it was a uh, 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 possibly the worst but uh but you know i i found all the decisions made subsequently you look back in just disbelief and and the board weren't given enough um grief by uh, the fans there was a kind of just acceptance i don't understand why were we all ignorant did we not know the way football clubs worked i think that was an element of it 
we just thought, oh, well, they can't afford it or whatever. They've made some bad decisions. I mean, I, 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 you can't quite understand why they just sold four or five of the better players and kept Ray Wilkins. They possibly could have then sold Ray then, got 500,000 uh, for him and then bought about four better players to shore the team up. I know it would have been premature and he was the best player, but he didn't, he didn't have a great season himself well you know. that's a good point jk and you, you you don't know this so your your powers of segwayness are masterful but of course obviously we do end up selling ray wilkins to man united that summer but after the man united game which in many respects i suspect really was the i think the key match really in the season it's the one that really led to shellato going but this is what mike langley i don't know the paper one of one of the Sundays, no doubt. Headlines, Exit Ray. Now, this is on the 25th of November, remember. And this is what he writes. Flop Wilkins needs a rest. Ray Wilkins of England ought to spend Wednesday night resting on the bench when the Czechs visit Wembley. He's a talented lad whose form and confidence have gone in trying to carry a side that would be lucky to avoid the bird at Rochdale. Who wants to hear 95,000 England supporters laughing if Wilkins falls head over heels and trying to control a square pass with no challenger within miles? That happened here. Chelsea have 2 million in debts, United have 2 million in players, but their superiority was confirmed into effort to belief and to liberal applications of Jordan's elbows. Blah, 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 blah. Right, uh, I hope someone pull. Here we go. Uh, I hope someone pulls uh, someone pulls him aside and convinces him that no other first division team is quite as hopeless as Chelsea. A wall of silence, manager Ken Shellato's phrase, has now been erected around Stamford Bridge. Everyone from the chairman downwards is supposed to be gagged. Chelsea proclaim, we'll let our football do our talking for us. Well, what their football said in this fourth consecutive defeat is rubbish. I just thought I I just happened to catch that earlier on today, really just by mistake, you know, as one does. And I I just thought, wow, that kind of encapsulates this season so beautifully, and I think also brings us on um, very pertinently and poignantly about Ray Wilkins, um, because we now know with hindsight that he struggled terribly uh, with the pressure that was wrought upon him of being Chelsea's only player, the captain, and everything else. Uh, it affected his mental state. I think he got depression, all sorts of things. I saw that interview um, that the big match did after the Liverpool game today. And, and I remember, I know Ray. You know, I got to know him pretty well, uh, you know, 10, 15 years ago or so. And okay, I know he was a lot younger, but that that I, I watched, it was it was heartbreaking watching that interview because this was not the Ray Wilkins that we know. He, he looked absolutely skittish nervous very ill at ease and i think it kind of, now knowing what we now know it, you can just tell that this was a, a young man no pun intended with ray but un, under huge pressure and really really struggling with his game uh with himself with the the huge weight that he carried on his shoulders um and it was it was really sad to watch actually and i kind of look look upon it now in, in a very different light than i than i would have done at the time i think jk well, um, I think he, as I said, he 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 was he clearly wasn't the same player he'd been the season before, um, and the season before that, and uh, uh, the the mediocrity around him. I think the same with McKenzie. He couldn't 
he couldn't come up to it. He couldn't. Um, he he it, it it was too much for him. The whole pressure, as you say, of uh, of being supposedly the fulcrum of the side, and uh, the fact that he wasn't influencing games and he was being caught in possession, uh, and he wasn't being protected because I think under under Eddie McCready he was playing much further forward and uh, and had Lewington behind him, um, and it was a, just a much better setup. Whereas in this instance, I think he was just playing midfield. He wasn't. He wasn't given, being given the ability to roam, and uh, and as you say, yes, of course, he was in the summer. He was sold, wasn't he? But it was. It, I, 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 I'm. You, with hindsight, you look back and are bemused at the way that the club was being run at the time. It was just absolutely ridiculous. I, but it was. It was once again the the um, the albatross of the stand, which uh, they took a long time to shrug off. Mm. Mark, what are your thoughts on what I was saying? Yeah, I can I can see it. He carried that team for so long, uh, and while you're doing that, I, I dug out the yearbook for the start of that season. And like Ken Shellato talks about the season that just ended, the seven seven eight one, and how Ray Wilkins had come back early from injury. You know, he'd played under the handicap with a groin injury, but he was concerned that Chelsea was going to go down. So he came back early and rushed himself back. He knew the risk he was taking, but he was putting Chelsea first. And Ray Wilkins got injured again the season we're talking about. He got injured in the Charlie Cook testimonial. And he came back for that Birmingham game, which was the last game that we won before before relegation. And time and time again, he put the club first before himself, his health, his well-being. Um, and I think the pressure as well, I think he was telling in the last home penultimate home game, when we lost to Ipswich at home, but everyone was just singing about don't go, Wilkins, don't go. And it's almost like a gesture he makes to the crowd saying, like, you know, I don't want it, but I have to. Because is that I think that pressure on Chelsea had to sell him, you know, you know, to get some money in. Because even Blanche Flower, who was quite astute at managing the press, in the Arsenal game, when we get relegated, you know, what crops up again? Ray Wilkins is the story. And Harry Miller, Mirror, Harry Miller, who wrote for the Mirror, Asked Danny Danny Blanchflower, yeah, and he says I've got a good club but a bad team. If I could get a million pounds for two defenders, I wouldn't need to say sell Ray Wilkins. I've brought in Peter Brock and Amy Brandon, but that is not enough. So Blanche was there saying once we got relegated, you know, if I'm going to build a team, I'm going to have to say Ray, Ray Wilkins. So the pressure was coming at Wilkins from all angles that he had to leave, you know. And the lovely part about that man, as I said it when I was on the show the other week, having spent time in his company. And when he came back for the first time and someone said to him, what are you doing here? You're a red. And he goes, I've never been a red. I've always been a blue. Yeah, yeah that's a lovely way to to finish it, I think, because um, it was a pretty depressing season and it, and it only really got worse in the summer when, when Ray went. A lot of, uh, I mean, you know, I was too young to really remember it, to be honest, but I know a lot of people... Uh, wept a lot when Ray went. It was like the soul being ripped out of the club. Uh, right, uh, that's it for uh, this week and our 50 years of Chelsea. Uh, we will be back, of course, next week to do 1979-80, uh, uh, which will be fun, I promise. Uh, now, I mentioned it earlier on, but the Chelsea special, of course, is uh, a whole series of interviews I've done with players from this uh, kind of era, uh, with the wonderful Martin King. We've done Kerry Dixon, Bobby Tabling, Chopper Harris, Tommy Baldwin, Johnny Boyle, Johnny Bumpstead, Gary Chivers, Colin Pates and Canners, and also Danny Harkins. And, and, and Chivers, Gary Chivers and Johnny B talk about this era coming up 
beautifully as you can imagine um they're so 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 well worth a listen and you can download them uh, at chelseaspecial.podbean.com for a small charge of each podcast uh £2.99, uh, which is cheaper than a pint of Guinness. Uh, and we've paid the players, so we need to kind of recoup the costs, really. And you can subscribe to Podbean. Go to chelseaspecial.podbean.com and then you see all of the episodes on the homepage and just scroll down, have them all, or just pick out one. And when you do, you go buy single episode now. It takes you straight through to the payment window and pay your money and then you can download it and listen to it as many times as you like uh follow uh, us on twitter at chelsea underscore special the website is chelseaspecial.com and it's chelsea special on facebook we will be back in a minute real fans real opinions i'm jason cundy and you're listening to the chelsea football fan cast up the chelsea Footballfancast.com <laughs> Welcome back to the Chelsea Fancast. Oh dear, if only... Well, I mean, the Mixler people do hear what happens in between each part. Uh, it's got, well, I hesitate to call it premium content, but uh, I suspect the jokes are somewhat funnier. Anyway, I'm back. I'm Stanford Chidge. Uh, Jonathan Kidd is here. Hello! His dander is down, as we have now established. No, even Keel. Even Keel, and uh, I've got the absolutely wonderful Mark Meehan, who's been a, a, a just so full of insight tonight on the 78-79 season. Uh, my dander is up. His dander is up. Well, I'm not, <laughs> after being educated on what it really means, I'm a bit worried about that, but there you go. <laughs> anyway, we, we've got a few emails to do, and then we're going to say goodbye, but we're going to try and whiz through it quick because we've been uh, offending your ears for a long time as it is. And the first one, JK, is from our regular Mate, Mr. Stephen Marshall. Help, help, I can't find it, I can't find it. Help, here it is, I've got it here. I've got it, few. <laughs> Panky Danny Blanchflower. Yeah, he's up there more like that. I know it's quite well spoken, that way of doing it. Anyway, um, Stephen Marshall. Hi again, guys. Thanks for agreeing to come onto my YouTube show. I tend to be, I tend to recite it after seven when the kids are in bed. So if you just let me know some dates, you may be free. I'll get it scheduled in. Also, message to... Uh, to a William, the other Chelsea fan in Leeds, friend me on Twitter at Stebob1984. That's S-T-E-B-O-B-1984. Would love to get you on the show as well. I'm afraid I do have to put you up on an error from last week's show. Oh, God. We beat Arsenal 5-0 in the League Cup in the 1989 season. It was the 1978-1998-99. What did I say? In the 1989. 1989-1980. 88, 99, oh God, 98, 99 season. It was in the 97, 98 season when we went on to win the cup against Borough. In the semi-final with Arsenal, we thumped them 3-1 with goals from Hughes, Di Matteo and Petrescu. It was a rare win for us over Arsenal. Both clubs played their strongest sides with Vieira, unsurprisingly, red-carded for them. There's something about beating Arsenal feels more special than beating other clubs. I'm going to ask another question, but with a little twist. Who's been our best European? What, what's been our best European final win, excluding the Champions League final in 2012? For me, it has to be the Cup Winners' Cup in 1998. I remember watching it on a little portable TV in the kitchen. One of my fondest Chelsea memories. Stay safe, up the Chelsea. Kind regards, Stephen. Best European final win. Uh, 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 well, there haven't been that many, really, have there? Um, okay, we've got Athens. I, Athens. I, about? I liked. Um, uh, I thought Arsenal last year was completely fabulous, absolutely fabulous. That Giroud goal will stay with me for the rest of my life. 
one of the best Chelsea headers, header goals I've ever seen in a final. Fantastic goal. Do you going for Baku? Yeah. Mark? Ooh, uh, I'd probably go for Stuttgart. Uh, obviously, when people listen, listen into my favourite matches, I'll talk more about them. But Stuttgart with memorable wins, Ola coming off the bench, you know, first European final I've ever been to. All very good choices. I'm gonna I'm gonna go for seventy one, the Cup Winners Cup uh, in Athens, uh, because it's the first one, and you can't beat the first one. We won a European trophy before Liverpool. Yeah, let me say that again. We won a European trophy before Liverpool. Uh, and we did it against Real Madrid. So, you know, I think that's pretty cool. So there we go. We've all got for different ones. Um, by the way, Stephen, you should know by now there's no point ever relying on me and Jonathan for accuracy about anything. This is exactly why we get Mark Meehan on the show. All right? So, you know, we, well, our memories are not very good. You've, we've established this. this is a long-established pattern. Um, anyway, good to hear from you, old chum. And just, just ping me an email. Let me know when you want us to come on, and we'll we'll do it, you know. Yeah, definitely. Uh, right, this is from another Steve, and this is Steve Gilbert. Hi, Chid, JK, and Mark. Uh, I've only recently found your podcast back in February. What? And have listened and been thrilled ever since. Uh, it's the best place to get Chelsea news that is actually true and not just rumours. I say, hang on. What? what? Not today. Well, not in this show. Well, okay, usually. Yeah. But we did qualify it. We qualified yeah, that's it. True. Uh, that's true. Anyway, I think the notifications I've got from one place or another, Frank's had conversations with just about every keeper in the world to replace Kepper, and all have said it's definitely happening. I don't believe a word unless I hear it from you. Thank you, Steve. Thank you. I'm 25 and born and raised in Lincoln. Unlike most fans, I had to find my way to Chelsea all by myself. Well, mostly. You see, way back to my little boy days, I love football, although my dad always checked the scores of Lincoln City. I wouldn't call him an actual supporter and he wasn't bothered about any Premier League teams. He liked to watch games on TV and loved international tournaments, but he's never supported one particular team. My first team about the age of five was Man U. I know, yuck. But let me explain. I was sleeping at a relative's house one Saturday night, fell asleep on the sofa and woke up to match of the day. And what I saw astounded me. Rude van Nisselrooy was like a one-man army. I don't remember the game or who they were playing. I just remember him. Anyhow, a little ways down the road, an Istanbul happened. With me having two cousins who supported Liverpool, they became my team. Not long after someone told me, I can't keep switching teams and I had to choose one and stick with it. <laughs> Brilliant. What was I to do? I had no one really to influence my decision, or so I thought. One fateful day, I found a picture of my granddad, who sadly I never met as he died before I was born. It turns out he was Chelsea, a Chelsea pensioner for the last few years of his life. And not only that, he held season tickets for those years. And just like that, my heart was blue and there was no going back. Fast forward 17 years to now, I'm sad to say I'm still waiting for my first chance to make it to the bridge. The problem with having no other Chelsea fans around you is no one wants to go with you. I'm getting married in the next few months, as soon as it becomes legal to again, so maybe I'll drag my new wife along with me. The last 17 years haven't all been plain sailing. I remember the heartbreak when Jose departed well the first time, not so much the second. Also the joys of Munich, which is obvious really. I loved Di Matteo and I wasn't sure why we sacked him. Then again, other than the Sarri, other than Sarri there have been a few sackings that has confused me. Sarri, I was happy to see go, to be honest. Enter Frank Lampard. When the whispers first started, I thought, if only, if only... If only could you imagine, not thinking for the slightest it could happen, but here we are. What a pleasure it is to see a guy who is blue through and through to see us into a bright winning future that is blue and all proper Chelsea. 
Thanks for listening. Sorry I've gone on a bit. Just one more thing to add. Seeing as though I can't make it to the bridge, watching on TV is all I have. Although Sky makes it almost impossible for that due to how much they charge. Very good point. Uh, Steve. So I'm all for Amazon Prime. I watched all the games that were on, on the December, in the December period and if Amazon took over I could watch every game live that would change things drastically although my fiance might have a few things to say. That's me done. Thanks for everything guys. Keep it up Steve Gilmot. Gilbert. What a brilliant email Jonathan. I enjoyed that and well done Steve. Oh yes well well done. I, I'm, I'm pleased he loved Dimiteo because he was a he was a terrific player who doesn't get um, doesn't get the plaudits enough for me. I thought he was terrific. And uh, um, it, it's such a shame that not even I'm talking as a player as well, rather than as a manager. But yeah, there were those were strange times, and I don't think Roman wanted him as a manager. And he, they didn't do very well in the league and uh, the following season. And uh, it was a time of uh, of upset, let's put it that way. But as a player, I thought he was uh, he was top banana. I really loved him. But yeah, let's 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 hope. Um, Let's hope Frank uh, pushes us to the top again. I'm with you there. Can I do the next one, Chidge? Yeah. Email three, Justin Covert. Good day, Chidgey and Kido. I just woke up today to see that the Timo Werner deal appears to be crossing the line. La, 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 la. And it's looking more and more likely. <laughs> la, 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 la. This got me thinking about all the whining and complaining some fans have done over these past number of years about Roman's financial commitment and his desire to make Chelsea financially sustainable. With rumours of Barcelona's impending insolvency and United's need for a massive loan on top of the already existing gigantic pile of debt just to do business in the summer, it appears Roman has got us on the right track. Could our billionaire owner of greater financial acumen than normal fans? From reading details, it appears Frank was instrumental in getting Timo to come and it's a breath of fresh air that we have a manager with the cachet to be able to talk players that he already does not have a relationship into coming with. Yeah. Not since Mourinho's second stint if we had such ability. One aspect that slightly worries me about this is how will, will Tammy react? I'd hope that Frank still wants to use him as a main striker, rotating him out, or possibly set up with a two-striker situation. Or will Timo solely be a winger? And if so, is there enough playing time? Either way, I have faith Frank will figure it out. I now have a reason to watch Leipzig this weekend. <laughs> have a great weekend. Best regards, Justin from Suffolk, NY. P.S. I know this is a late submission. Hopefully I got under the wire. You certainly did, Justin. Over to you, Chidge. Well, I, I mean, actually, Justin brings up a really good point, doesn't he, Mark? Which, which we didn't get to earlier on, which uh, is something, a point I wanted to make, actually, which is how important uh, Frank Lampard and Petr Cech will be going forward attracting talent. And it's something that perhaps we oldens have uh, have, have uh, kind of overlooked because, of course, for, for players like Timo Werner and that generation, they would have looked at uh, growing up as kids at Frank Lampard and Petr Cech as two of the best players in the world. And I think it's going to have quite a big... Uh, impact on our ability to sign quality players, uh, Mark. Do you not think? I do. I think it's it's a bit similar to when we had the likes of Hoddle, Hullet, and Viali. You know, they were bringing players that you know looked up to these as sort of idols. So again, you know, we could be going into a new era of Chelsea Football Club where some of the best talent is coming to our club on the basis they want to play for our manager because what he's achieved in the game. Good stuff. Uh, great email, Justin. Keep him coming, my friend. Right, number four, John Morgan. Aha! I don't know why I said that with a pirate's aha. Because Morgan's rum has a pirate on the front. 
That would be why. So apologies, John, for norsing up your name. John Morgan, I shall say, my best BBC uh, pronouncing thing. Uh, but that all went a bit goonish or, or Monty Python, so I'll start that again. Uh, we have an email from John Morgan, and he says, Hi, Chidge and the boys stroke girls. Uh, it's been about three years since I last wrote to you, and I thought I ought to get off my backside and write again. Quite right. Firstly, thanks for continuing to record the podcast. It's helped me through some tough times in the past, and during the lockdown, it's continued to do the same. Well, I'm really glad to hear that, John. That's really nice of you to say. Uh, have, having been meaning to write for a while, there are a lot of topics to cover, but don't worry, not three years' worth. So I'll begin with a couple of questions. When football returns, with play, will playing behind closed doors put Arsenal at an unfair advantage? <laughs> They're so used to playing in a silent stadium devoid of atmosphere and passion. I think it might. It's a good point. Has anyone else put the Spurs rule for tea and coffee making into their workplace? As I explained to my colleagues, there's a risk of transmission if you make a round of teas, so you have to imagine you support Spurs and therefore don't have any mates. Like it. Has anyone wondered whether the players have used the early part of lockdown brushing up on their shithouse tactics, as perfected by Terry, Wise, Diego Costa, etc, 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 because you couldn't get any toilet roll? <laughs> That's quite... <laughs> Saving them up. Silly. Very silly. On a more on to more serious matters. I noticed on the BBC website today a story that we've agreed to a deal to sign Timo Werner. As this appears to be a report rather than a rumour, I felt it safe to discuss it without provoking a JK rant. Well, I'm sorry, John, that, that's been and gone. Uh, in my opinion, this is just the sort of signing we need to be making. I agree. Uh, it's a proper signing of a seriously good quality player at the right age. I think that we've never really properly replaced Diego Costa. And it's the principal reason why we haven't been in the running for winning the league for the last three seasons. It's not about being a one-man team. It's about a player stepping up, scoring at a crucial moment when you're struggling, that then turns a game in your favour, and only top strikers do that for you. I think with the quality of Man City and others, you don't just need one of those, you need a few. And currently, our league positions tell us we don't have quite enough of them. I think that's a good point. Uh, I got the feeling over the last few years as well but uh, that we stopped competing for our first-choice players. Uh, or four first-choice players, and went for something that seemed like we were trying to unearth an unlikely bargain. For example, a player who has lost their way a bit like Morata or Coutinho. Uh, If Real or Barca don't want them, then neither should we. Absolutely right. Uh, I hope, too, that our forced reliance on youth will convince the club that we don't need to buy squad players anymore who serve little purpose than to coke, uh, I, I think, save us money and deprive our youngsters of opportunity. I'd put our links with Dries Martins firmly in this category. Quite right. What we need to do is to focus ourselves on a couple of decent signings who are going to improve our first team and whom we expect to play regularly. With the two we've made, assuming the report about Werner is true, it's so far so good. I've really enjoyed listening to the My Chelsea podcast too. Tony Glover mentioned a 4-3 win against Spurs at Stamford Bridge and I wanted to add a couple of my own memories about the game as I was there. We'd been on a poor run going into the game, but I knew we always lifted ourselves for Spurs. However, the game didn't start off that way. Spurs played us off the park and were very soon 2-0 down. We were very soon 2-0 down. We needed something from somewhere to get the crowd going and lift the players. And in that and that inspiration came from John Spencer, who viciously stamped on, I think, just in Edinburgh's nether regions. Suddenly we seemed a bit quicker to the ball, and it clearly inspired Mel Donaghy, who twisted this way and that before drilling a shot in the near post. We were three two up by half time and deserved to be. The second half started like the first. Uh, Spurs got two penalties. Kareen should probably have been sent off for the second one, but they scored the first to make it three all. And Kareen saved the second. 
just when the game seemed to be petering out into injury time, we got a penalty. And for me, it's the penalty that really made the game. Mark Steen stepped up to take it, Wise was the normal penalty taker at the time, and absolutely laced it into the top corner. The power and positioning of that penalty when it could easily have flown over the bar and ended up in the Thames was proper Chelsea. The atmosphere was electric that day. Happy days indeed. Lastly, congratulations to the ladies who have been awarded the WSL today. Uh, as a cherry to go on top of the icing on that cake, Liverpool were relegated too. Lovely. Stay safe, Jono. Uh, yeah, great email, mate. Like that. Enjoyed that a lot. Thank you. Mr. Kid, we've got one of those weird ones from Instagram where you have to kind of read across and down. Yeah. Uh, hi, Dane. If you could please send this to the Fancast boys, it would be an honour to be on the show. Dear, this is from Harry Stevenson, by the way. Hello, Harry. Dear Chelsea Fancast legend. Oh, I've only just started listening to the podcast since this season. I listen religiously every week whilst gardening. Oh, that's interesting. Good. good. Um, uh, you have a nice garden. Um, I like gardening. I was brainwashed by my dad. At, I like avocados, by the way. I was, uh, I grow them. I was brainwashed by my dad at a young age because I was in danger of becoming a Villa fan. <laughs> my favourite season to watch with, oh no, my first trip to Stamford Bridge was a forgettable 1-1 draw against Fulham, but I saw Zola and Hasselbank play, so there are silver linings. My second trip was some years later, however, a lot more memorable. Chelsea spanked Villa 7-1. Whoa! And, uh, and Ancelotti's era, and Super Frank got four goals. I went many times over the next few years and saw some fantastic matches. In all my 24 young years as a Chelsea fan, this has been my favourite season to watch with fresh young players and exciting football mixed with my favourite player, Frank, at the helm. Don't think I can ask for much more. As a young fan, I've really enjoyed your 50 years of Chelsea series as it teaches me the history behind my favourite club when I was just a sperm in my dad's balls. <laughs> Lastly, I want to thank you for putting on such a great podcast, which has pushed me deeper into living Chelsea. Keep up the fantastic work and always look. I always look forward to the next episode. Thanks, Harry. P.S. When you plug the Chelsea specials, please think of something other than a Costa coffee that it's cheaper, that it's cheaper uh, than... I did. Guinness. Yep, I said Guinness. Guinness. Yeah. Also, there's an error in the email when it gets to Ancelotti. It's meant to say Ancelotti's title winning season. I think I got around that, didn't I? We corrected Ancelotti it on the managed. hoof. because We did. Yeah, managing. With, yeah, yeah. I love Ancelotti good. as a manager. I loved him. <laughs> uh, but I'll tell you something else, which is far more pertinent that I want to mention. Because, you know, I've long felt and thought that um, our audience predominantly is full of old codgers like us. You know, um, and that, that we don't appeal very much to the youth, the Chelsea youth, because we don't talk about transfers or tactics or systems or or FIFA or, or whatever. And I have to say, Jonathan, I've been hard... I mean, I, I, I'm just really chuffed... chuffed yeah, heartened and chuffed to bits. The last few weeks, we keep getting loads of emails from, from uh, Chelsea supporters who are in their early 20s um, who, who are loving what we're doing and saying really nice things. And I think it's brilliant. I'm so chuffed that, that we do appeal to, to a lot of the younger people. It's great. Don't you think? I just wonder whether we're not being serious enough, actually. I'm wondering whether we, you and I should both speak like that, come from the era that we, uh, we were born in, and, um, and be, be actually wearing dinner jackets to do this show. And then, if 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 we did it from the era I was born, and I'd, I'd be going, yeah, man, far out. Yeah, okay. Well, you would do that, and I would. Be, I'm a child of the '60s, and mate. I'd be speaking like that, wouldn't I? In your dinner, in your in, dinner in jacket. In jacket, my jacket. Your jacket, jacket. your jacket. 
Yes, I've uh, funnily enough Mark actually. Got... Uh, yeah, what would you be wearing, Mark? Mark's the same age as me, more or less. Oh no, I was a child of the sixties as well, so I'd be yeah. with you, far out, man. Yeah. You know, off on a complete tangent here because why not? We've only been doing this for two and a half hours, so why not waste a few more minutes? But um, I'm kind of like uh, catching up on uh, Peaky Blinders uh, series five last week, and of course it's got the episodes with uh, Sir Oswald Mosley. And I've been absolutely enchanted by that actor's portrayal of him in terms of his accent, uh, where, where they go hippin', hippin'. It's always, it's not happened, it's hippened. You know, they kind of put an E in there. And I think maybe we should do a whole Chelsea fan cast in the style of Sir Oswald Mosley and Peaky Blinders next week <laughs> and see if I'd we can sustain. It. I could read that yes. email. Hey, Dan, if we could please send this to the fan cast, boys, it would be an honour to be on the show. Yes. Can you can can you see it happening, Jonathan? I can see it happening, yes, but I don't think anybody yes. would listen. <laughs> I don't think they would. I think we should shut the fuck up and move on. Uh, right. I mean, basically, boys and girls, brilliant emails this week. Keep them coming. Uh, obviously, email chelseafancast at gmail dot com, preferably by Sunday. I tend to be doing the scripts on a Sunday these days. Uh, also, of course, Twitter or patreon you can get hold of me there and of course instagram we're now including a lot of instagram messages as well because uh, i'm rubbish at it but thankfully we've got dane to deal with it all for us and um he does a jolly good job so there you go uh right uh it's about time i think we should say cheerio for this week uh that is in fact all we've got time for uh we'll be back next monday to look back at guess what we'll be looking back at the 1979-80 season. It's very easy to work out, really. Uh, and that'll be the next one in our 50 Years of Chelsea series. And uh, we're going to have a countdown also, because actually, the next week after that, Chelsea are back. We're playing Villa. We're talking about Can't the game, wait. won't we, Chid? Yeah, we game. might even... We might even talk about that. Now, uh, before that, on Friday, uh, we'll have another edition of My Chelsea as uh, another one of the Chelsea fancast mob. I think it might be Mark this week, actually. I think I might put yours up this week, Mark. you fancy that? I oh, fancy that. Yeah, look forward to it. We had fun, didn't we? We did indeed. Like, how many games did we go through? You, you came out with the longest list I've ever seen. I mean, I swear to God, you must have put 40 matches up there as your favourite matches. It was a sterling effort, man. And I left loads off as well. <laughs> <laughs> I got that feeling as well. I mean, we we had people. I will put Mark's one up on Friday. I promise you, it is so much fun. And if you've enjoyed Mark uh, on our recent shows, which surely you must have done, you'll know exactly what I mean. His knowledge is just encyclopedic, and it, I had great fun doing that. So we'll put we'll put up Mark Meehan's My Chelsea this Friday, which is all about how Mark became a Chelsea supporter, his favourite players and matches growing up, and his best and worst moments as a Chelsea fan. They're really really good fun. So there you go. Uh, now, don't forget, Chelsea Fancast is available as a podcast on ChelseaFancast.com, Acast, Apple, SoundCloud, Spotify, and other podcast distributors. Uh, and talking of which, you can also find the Chelsea Fancast and other Chelsea podcasts on the CFC Blues app, as they tell us right now, here. For Chelsea fans everywhere, this is the ultimate football app for you. For match highlights, interviews, and the best Chelsea videos and podcasts. Download the free CFC Blues app now from the App Store and Google Play. Uh, quick plug for the wonderful History Hack uh, podcast by our lovely dear friend Alex uh, Churchill, who is indomitable, intelligent and absolutely gorgeous and lovely. And she's been doing podcasts every day in the entire uh period of the lockdown on history. She's a historian by profession. She's bloody good. And they're just... 
So I saw you did some VO for her. Aren't you an absolute love? I saw that. Yeah. yeah some voices for her. For Dunkirk. All, yeah, all, all uh, officers and, uh, and and men. I, I ran out of accents Cockney-wise. I, I was doing sort of blokes like that after a bit. Stuck on a beach, you know, like accents like that. And, uh, and, and in characters like that as well when I was doing that kind of stuff. What are the officers? Though? The officers are terrible like that. Officers you'd expect because they're all, you know. And, but they also similarly some are down there, and some are slightly older as well because that's the way they were. And I managed to get a bloke in from Borough, and uh, and I got a bloke like that, and I got that voice in there as well. You got the Northern Irish one in. as well. I, I got, I mate. I'm still catching up. I've got a I've, the whole band of brothers ones. I've been listening to they're brilliant. I'm, there's a whole load more I need to catch up on. People out there, check them out if you like a bit of history as well. Uh, Historyhack.podbean.com. So there you go. Right, you can follow the show on Twitter at Chelsea Fancast. Me at Stanford Cheers. Jonathan at Jonathan Kid. Uh, um, now Mark is Eddie Mac B A W A. We did that in sync, Mark. That's good work. Uh, Dean Mears at Dean Mears. Check out Dean's weekly column, by the way, on the Fancast website, ChelseaFanCast.com. Dean Mears Monday Musings. It's good stuff. Uh, Marco's at Gate17. Marco. Uh, Joe is at Joe Tweedy. Clayton is at Goalie59. Tony is at Jack UK. Martin is at Martin Wickham. Dan is at DanSilv73. Uh, Liam is at Liam underscore Toomey. Alex is at CFCGWRB. By the way, these people are all still alive. Okay, I haven't uh, furloughed them or finished them off, but uh, while we've been talking about the 70s and not much else, I didn't want to waste their supreme talents getting them on the show. But now we've got off footy back. Normal squad rotation will resume, I feel. So I shall be sending them all an email this week. Uh, right, that is it. That's it. Blimey, finally. Uh, Mark, uh, once again, an absolute monstrously huge thank you uh, for your contribution, not just on this show, but the other the other shows uh, more recently. Your knowledge is just Brilliant. unmatchable. Brilliant. Yeah, yeah. Brilliant. No, thank you very much, Cheers. And I, I never got the chance to mention, you know, we talked about Tommy Langley being Player of the Year, but also who, I, did. who I voted for that season. Who did you vote for? I voted for Graham Wilkins that season, and he finished third. I thought he had a good wow. season that year. One of the few players that did. Would... So it was your vote. It was your vote that got him third. Vote got him third place. Yeah. Well done, Mark. You have been brilliant. You know, pat yourself on the back, big time. We'll get you back on whether we're talking about fifty years of Chelsea or not. Because you, I mean, I, I, Jonathan, I'm sure would agree. I mean, it's just an absolute delight having you on the show. It really is, mate. No, love to have been on it. Glad to come on again. Yeah, you're great, Mark. Fantastic. Good stuff. And as for you, Purple Superman, you've been a trooper tonight. Up, up and away, once more. Indeed. Mate, as always, a huge and absolute brilliant pleasure. Uh, we've got one more week and then it'll be football again. That'll be running, fun. Running out of memory halfway through. But it's just fantastic how every single time you say something, my memory is stirred. Like that Milan, Milanda Bridge, whatever his name was. Like I, I, I yeah. remember the picture of him uh, looking sort of owlish. And saying, yes, I can, almost, I can be your man. I can come in. And me going, yes, please sign him. Please, let's have a foreign manager. That'd be wonderful. And instead of which, we then get Danny Blanchflower. It was just, you know, so typical oh, know. at the time. You know. Well, he counts as a foreign manager, Jonathan, doesn't he? He came from Northern Ireland. <laughs> true, true, very true. Right, boys, it's been an absolute pleasure tonight. I hope all the lovely people in Mixler have enjoyed it as well. Enjoyed it even as well. They they seem to have done so. We'll see you all again next week. Thank you for listening. See you next time. Until then, keep it blue, keep it carefree, and keep it chills. Up the chills.
It's the 90th minute. All your mates around. You've got your McNuggets share boxes ready to go. Your mates already got booked for double dipping and you steal the last nugget, snatching all three points. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. You in? At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc.